Josh Williams here, and welcome to the One Man Podcast, episode number 57 for Wednesday, June 13th, 2018. Welcome back, onesies, or welcome onesies if you were brand new to the show. Thanks for joining me, guys. I'm going to talk about uh, this last week here that happened with me. I've been sick. Um, I'm certainly on the mend, but I'm I'm still, uh, I'm sure you can hear it in my voice still. I might be coughing a little bit during the episode. Um, I, I worked the, uh, Ontario provincial election, uh, last week. I, I watched some movies. I got a, a giveaway that I'm currently doing on Facebook. I don't know if it's over by now, uh, zero entries as of the moment <laughs> that I'm uh, recording this and, uh, and it's done in two hours. So who knows? It may carry over. Uh, I would certainly, uh, you know, encourage you guys to check that out. Um, check the status of that, you know, cause right now I have no idea. Um, what else we got going? I did some tastings last week and I'll read your emails a little later on the show. So we got a, a fun, fun show for you guys. I last week, right after, uh, you know, recording the last episode, I went to, uh, the Mandarin, uh, buffet for the second time last week. How about that? And the health goals, eh? All you can eat Asian food. It's actually a really nice Asian buffet. It's not like one of those gross ones where everything's super dried under heat lamps and stuff. It was actually a really nice spot, but, uh, I gotta tell you after being there twice in one week over it, I'm over it. Great food, but I, I don't really like to gorge myself. I will I will eat food that's bad for me, but but to gorge on it, ugh, can't do it. Mm. Still working on my coffee from this morning. Um I got sick last Wednesday. I had committed to uh to helping a family member get a cell phone. That was a big fucking fiasco. Um it wasn't, it wasn't a fiasco. I, that is, that is being way too hyperbolous and, and blowing it out of proportion. Um, I took my, uh, my dad to go get himself a, a cell phone account with a friend of mine way out in the, the, the burbs of Barhaven. Um, all that means is basically, you know, a 30 minute drive, which maybe in some of your cities are, are not that big of a deal at all, you know, but, uh, but with 30 minute drive one way. So it's basically an hour travel commitment plus however long it takes to set everything up. Um, but I was sick. I woke up Wednesday and I had somewhere along the line gotten sick and, uh, it was a head cold. I wasn't, it wasn't flu. In fact, sometimes like going to the bath, I, you know, it's hard to say, right? Everyone's like, kind of like when you're sick, you're like, well, you know, I've got this headache. I wish it was a sore throat. Cause then I could take that. Oh, I wish, I wish I didn't have a sore throat. I wish I had like, you know, you know, vomiting is vomiting is better. You know, I wish it wasn't, vom- maybe if I just had the shits, you know, like I, I could, I could live with the shits if I was just sick to my stomach, but not a head. I had a head cold. And it, and it just sucked. My throat was really sore. It hurt to swallow. It hurt to speak. Um, it was itchy and painful right up from the back of my throat, right into my ear canals and my ears. Um, I had a, a, I don't want to say it was a wicked bad headache. It didn't start off really bad, but it certainly got there by the end of the day. So, um, this was coming on Wednesday, the day before the, you know, provincial election, the day I'd be working, you know, 14 hours straight uh, you know, 14, 15 hours straight at my post. Um, you know, so I w- really wasn't looking forward to this onset of a cold. So, um, but amongst this, I'm driving my dad out to, uh, you know, get his cell phone, not, uh, you know, just trying to help out. And, um, I guess there were some issues with, uh, the provider he was with currently. So I don't know if you guys deal with this, my Canadian listeners, my, my U S listeners and anyone abroad. Um, there's rules now where, where phone companies can't lock the devices, to their network anymore. So if you get a phone from there, it's got to be unlocked. However, anything you purchased prior to that, um, also has to be unlocked 
unless you have an outstanding balance uh, with said company. And, uh, you know, not to give away, you know, anybody's personal details or whatever, but unfortunately that's, that's the nature of this, this story, um, was, I guess when my dad had left, uh, the last company, there's maybe like a, a bill or something like that, that hadn't like maybe the last bill wasn't paid or they missed something. So the idea was, um, you know, we went all the way out here, we set up a phone account, everything like that. And then when we called to get his, his phone unlocked, um, bell refused to unlock it. They said, uh, no, there's still a, an outstanding balance, um, so we're not going to unlock that phone for you until you pay the outstanding balance. And this, of course, was not Bell who told us this. This was Be uh, when we called Bell. Bell had told us that there was an issue. We had to get a hold of Apple. Okay, so for all of you, uh, those of you that hate Apple and Apple's the worst, whatever, we called Apple and Apple said, no, there's nothing on our end that would keep us from unlocking your device. And they said it really is a provider thing because everything here on that IMI is showing that the, the phone is, you know, good to be unlocked and everything's, you know, in the right, uh, the right, right setting. So this is what the Apple rep said was the Apple rep said, rather than telling you to call bell back, why don't I get bell on the phone for you? And we'll resolve it with them all at once in case they try to tell you, you have to contact again. We'll, we'll have it all done for you. So, uh, I believe, uh, Jeanette was the name of the person at Apple. Uh, she was outstanding. Um, again, didn't tell us to, sorry, can't help you. You're gonna have to call. No, she, and she didn't just say, Hey, if you want to call them, I'll stay on the line. She did the work. She looked up the number. She got a hold of a rep. She even spoke with them and got all the stuff done. So we didn't have to sit through a process of identifying the account or anything like that. She did everything herself on her end. Um, you know, that's, that's what you get when you call Apple for the record. So all those people are like, Apple's fucking fruit slaves and stuff. Um, they took 100% care of us when our own fucking provider, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't answer the question, basically just brushed us off and sent us somewhere else. Um, they took care of everything. Um, in terms of taking every care of everything, what I mean by that is she basically got to the root of the problem, which was that they were, you know, they're saying they wouldn't unlock because we're not sending them out. So the, it didn't get done. And, uh, and my dad was, was, uh, you know, we were in a hurry. We weren't gonna be able to get it resolved that day anyway. So long story short, we drove all the way out there. We activated the phone. We were driving away, you know, because the, the rep who sold us the phone, sorry, tat whacked my coffee and spilled everywhere. Uh, the rep who sold us the phone was saying, yeah, everything's good. There's no reason why they won't unlock it. You just got to call, you just got to call uh bell or sorry, Apple. Apple's the one who said that we had to call. He called Bell. Bell's the one who told him, no, you got to call Apple. So we just called Apple as we were leaving. And then it turned out that, uh, you know, we had to go through that other, that other avenue there. Sorry, I'm half paying attention to all this mess. I'm cleaning up right now. Um, so yeah. Do you hate that when the garbage is like a foot out of reach, you throw something at it and you still miss. You're like, how, how could I, how could I miss that? The rest of you better not be sitting there going, oh, that never happens. It's a foot away. What the fuck's wrong with you? Um, so yeah, um, we were on our way home. That's when we spoke to the Apple person. The Apple person took care of us, got everything figured out. And at the end of the day, let us know that, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, nothing that you can do until you pay the thing. So it's not that, uh, so again, if you're with a provider in Canada that says, you know, uh, we're not unlocking your phone for you. Apparently that's not illegal. They are totally allowed to do that if you owe the money aside from that. So no new phones are, are locked. And, uh, but the old ones, if, if you bought your phone before they were coming unlocked, uh, they can hold it ransom and not unlock it for you. So how about that shit? Uh, anyways, needless to say, after we found that out, we called the rep who sold us the phone back and said, Hey man, cancel that account. Cause uh, we can't use it. You, you told us that all was good and all was not whatever, blah, blah, blah. So long story short on Wednesday, not the worst thing in the world, but on Wednesday I was, I was sick. 
Um, and I drove all the way out to, to Barhaven and sat around while they activated phones and on customer service phones and blah, 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 all for nothing. So, Hey, uh, practicing, practicing, activating accounts, practicing, calling customer service lines. Oh man, I'm getting better at it. So when I got home on Wednesday night, um, like evening, I should say, grabbed, I think about an hour's rest and, um, and I, um, what did I do? Oh, I prepped for the election. So I had a big box of supplies and I had all these sheets that I was supposed to have like mileage sheets and everything like that, because my job I may have mentioned to you guys was I was an area manager for the election. So, um, I had seven polls under, under my supervision, uh, three large ones with multiple uh, stations and four, uh, single ones, just two people at a table doing the old fashioned paper ballots. Um, and my job throughout the course of the day was to make sure that, uh, everybody was good. They were set up properly. All accessibility stuff was, was meeting standards. So if you're trying to vote and you're in a wheelchair that you, you know, the people in the building are not in a space that they, you know, you can't get to, um, all of the signage is up properly, but just boring administrative government shit, but I'm sick. Right. So, um, turns out as I was going through my box, right. I wanted to make sure that I had it as an easy as morning, a possible, an easy, a morning as possible. Um, I was going through my box and I found that a bunch of the paperwork that I needed was not there. And so, um, you know, and this was also like, I think I, I came home and I slept for a bit and I got myself up at a time that wasn't too late, but too late to go down to that office if, if anything was needed. So long story short, I knew I was going to be making some extra stops downtown, the heart of downtown during the morning rush hour, you know, thing to, to get paperwork that I needed. Just, ugh, ugh. So I don't know. I, I'm not trying to make this overly boring. Point is, oh, I, keep sp I keep spilling this coffee. Fuck. Um, what I'm getting at is, I think I had a kind of a shitty beginning of last week in the sense that I was sick and I'm trying to go through paperwork and I'm just not feeling well. And uh, and then the election day itself, you know. So um, election day itself, well, I woke up sick. I got I I prepped f um, um, juices. So I had like orange juice and stuff. I prepped, uh, lozenges. I went out and I bought, a uh, some organic lozenges from Kardish. Cause I think that like, I don't know if you guys, when you get sore throats, you start to, uh, you start to get like, uh, sick of the sweet taste. Like your mouth almost gets kind of like, I don't want to say the, the, the sepical kind of drops where it numbs it. I've never been one to really enjoy that numb feeling because for some reason, my th sore throats are always at the top of the back of my throat, not the bottom. So, you know, you could suck on a, on a numbing cough drop and it numbs your throat, but I'm like, I'm still in my mouth sore, like swallowing upwards where my ear canal is. So that numbing shit never, never gets up there to numb where the pain is. And instead I got a numb mouth that feels like I'm at the dentist and then I get this sore throat in the back top of my throat. So, and then if you use halls, which kind of gives you like an all around relief or, or recall after you've had like two or three of them consecutively, you just get this gross sort of like waxy sugar feeling in your mouth. So I figured it's got to have something to do with all the sugar, not to mention sugar is not good for you when you're sick. You know, it makes, makes the medicine, you know, the eucalyptus and medicinal properties of whatever thing you're, you're using a little bit better sort of opens you up. If you're stuffy, if you're having like peppermint hulls or something, but the truth of the matter is bacteria feeds off of sugar. So if you're taking like fucking candy cough drops, you know, as much as it might make you feel better temporarily, you're effectively giving the bacteria sugar and, uh, you know, and giving it stuff it needs. So that's why I went for the organic one. Fucking does everything I do have to have like a big long story attached. I'm so sorry, guys. I really am. Um, but anyways, election day opened up. So I had my, my organic fucking like weird, 
I don't even remember what they're called. I still have like three of them left, but there was like this special kind of honey from like Australia. I think it's all bullshit. Whatever. They were they were good. They worked well and 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 they they helped quite a bit. That they're made with real honey, real eucalyptus, and a special kind of like flower or whatever. But it, it actually really did feel good. They were ten bucks for like twenty, so they weren't cheap, but they uh, they certainly helped. Absolutely helped. Um, yeah, election day. Holy shit! Right under right under way, guys. I had to get. Uh, to my stations for 7.45 in the morning. So I had to get to the first one and then check essentially on all seven stations before nine o'clock when the polls open. Because if a polling station is open, not open by nine o'clock on election day, uh, it is a huge deal. You have to actually report it to the media so the media can, you know, that, that there's no secrets, that p- the parties become all fucking eh, whatever. Luckily, I busted my ass. I put my head down. My head was a swamp. It really was headache. Uh, throat, sniffles, congestion, uh, brutal. Um, but I put my head down. I got all my polls open at nine o'clock and then it was like sort of go around and do mop up duty in terms of, okay, now who's missing stuff? What, what is there something you need? You know, you didn't necessarily need an opening, but you need now. So I was driving around and you know, it's all downtown. So I'm parking as legally as possible. We actually got a, a little thing that we could stick in our windshield that said like on official elections business from elections, Ontario. Um, and they told us that if we park somewhere where it's, you know, paid parking is required, that it was free. They said, don't worry about it. You're not going to get a ticket. If you get a ticket, we'll pay for it. As long as you're not in a no stopping zone or a no parking zone, uh, foreshadowing. Um, so yeah, the, the day went relatively good. Um, I, I actually, I got to say that my stations that I was in charge of amazing. In fact, None of the people from elections uh, had to call me at any point during the day. My team's called a few times. I had a few stations that were doing, a, like, for the first time, the multi-polls, and that's where you have multiple stations. Um, we're doing uh, an electronic voting system where people sign, a, you know, they, they cast their ballot, and then it's and then it's scanned by a Scantron machine, um, you know, a special kind of voting thing. So, uh yeah, my people were good. I had one multi-poll that was a little concerned. It was her first time being in charge of the whole station, but she did great. Uh, honestly, all my teams were great. So I, I, my job was to just keep checking in on them. So I was doing rounds. Um, I was really not feeling well. So twice during the shift, um, one of my stations was like three blocks from home. So I just drove up to home, came and got more meds, uh, sat down in the massage chair for like 30 minutes, trying to just feel a little bit better. And, uh, and it was hot too. Very, very hot day. So, um, yeah, long, long story short, I managed to get all of my stuff done. Um, uh, didn't feel well, but I got my, I got, I had great teams, man. I could have had the worst day. Um, it sucked cause I was sick and I mean really sick, but at the same time I was, I was so fortunate, uh, to have amazing, amazing teams. Um, good, good staff that, you know, they called me all day, which was fine, but they called me with questions. They were just basically looking for, you know, confirmation that the decision that they had made to do was, was right and wrong. Uh, you know, was, was, was correct or not, I should say not right and wrong, but, but, but correct or not. So, um, that was elections day for me. Um, for anyone who cares to know or whatever, the, uh, the conservative, uh, leader got in with a majority, which means, uh, he's going to be in for a while. Um, some people have said they wonder what my opinion is on it. I don't, I don't really like having political opinions because for starters, all it does is take someone who may, you know, like me or something. It gives them a reason not to just because I don't think the same way politically as they do. 
right? So for me to be like, I don't like conservatives, I don't like NDP, I don't like liberals. And again, for all my international listeners who are not even familiar with the names of these parties or what they stand for or whatnot, it just becomes a boring point for them. But I think um, I think a lot of people don't really know what they're voting for. Um, and I don't mean with the conservatives, I mean like they just, people are really really uneducated and unfortunately a lot of people who who learn about the parties become like disenfranchised or whatever and then you know or disillusioned and they just decide not to vote so it's like great the people who have a proper head in their shoulders and should be voting aren't and then the ones who you know they vote a certain way because their parents voted that way or they've always voted that way so they just always gonna vote that way um you know or some people just don't like the way the government is now so they just assume that to vote for a different party is the right way to go um I personally don't, I don't, I'm not happy with the results of the election. I don't really, um, when I was young, I used to be really, really liberal and I don't necessarily mean the liberal party of Canada, but just very liberal, very left. Um, as I get older, um, my, my thoughts and behaviors move more towards the right. And I don't want to say that they're far into the right or even in the right, but they're definitely closer. I'd like to think that I'm somewhere right in the middle. Um, of course, who wouldn't say that? Oh, I just thought both. Um, you know, I don't want to make this too much about politics, but at the end of the day, I think that, um, the conservatives are, are not a good party. Um, I don't think the liberals are either. I think that there's so much corruption in government. It's the same going on in the States, right? Trump or Hillary, like which evil do you want? Do you want the evil that doesn't let you know what, what they're doing? Or do you want the evil that's right out in your face? You know, it, it, I guess it's like, you know, that, that the devil, you know, versus the one you don't kind of thing. Like it's, it's so messed up because like you can't win, you can't win with who you get. So it's really hard. Um, I think I almost like look at the person in charge. Like I, I kind of think, you know, like the, the conservatives, their leader is a big fat, you know, misogynistic racist. Um, and yeah, I'll go on. I don't give a fuck. Normally I watch what I say about people or things, but he's a, he's a big fat racist and misogynist who his brother, not, not to say that you are who your family is, but his brother was the crack smoking mayor from Toronto. And he's, he, his brother died. He mismanaged the money that should have gone to his brother's widow. And now she's not going to get it. And it's like, she's taking him to court or whatever. And it's like, this guy fucked over that. Like, like, like take a second and just, and, and know that I'm not, there's no lying in what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not the kind of left person that decides that they got to vilify the person, but just, just think about the facts alone. The next sentence is true. This guy fucked over his dead brother's wife. Okay. That's it. That's family. You know, she's not blood, but she's family. It's all he has left from his brother is his wife and, and their kids. If they had any of that, I don't know. But, um, if you're willing to do things like that to your family and part of your platform is the cuts to healthcare and things like that, like, doesn't that this, this was before the, the election day. All right. This, they found this out like a few days before. So this information was fresh. It wasn't even like there was a ton of time for people to like, you know, forget about it. And he's really, this is, this is a few days before you find it. This is the kind of, this is the kind of man who fucks over his own family and people were still like that information in their heads are still willing to go. That's the guy who's going to do right by me. 
He's going to, he's going to look out for what my needs are or whatever. That's, that's really honestly at the end of the day, why I don't like to talk about politics is it, it doesn't, it's not even that I get mad about the politicians or get mad at the parties or anything like that. I get mad at everybody who be like, Jesus Christ, am I going to get off my soapbox? At the end of the day, you know what people, there's information out there for you. There really is. You know, I, I'm a big advocate of asking questions. I get into conversations with people all the time where they're like, oh, this happened and the guy didn't have, you know, and they said he couldn't give it to me. I'm like, oh, well, did you ask like when it would be available again? They're like, no. I'm like, well, did you ask him if there's any more, you know, available? No. Did, did you, did you ask, like ask questions? It's like the number one thing I say to my mom, she'll, someone will tell her something and then she goes, so I, so I just stopped. I go, well, you didn't ask them if they had another one in the back or something. You didn't ask them if, if they could order it for you. Like you did like, like these are, these are questions that I like right now you telling me the story. I can't help but think to ask, you know, questions are free people, you know? And when you get the information, you can just apply it. There's so much. I'm the, I'm a fucking idiot. I say this every week. I'm a fucking idiot. I, I don't have any position to be a father. I don't have a position to be a, you know, a, a husband or, or fucking in charge of anything, you know, because I don't know anything, you know, and I, I don't have the confidence to make a move that I feel will not hurt anybody else. Then there's these politicians who come out and be like, I should be in charge. Right. And there's people smarter than me, at least, you know, that you'd think they were based on the diplomas who can't look at a guy and go, this guy fucked over his own family, his own family. Why would he not do that to me? You know, I'm going to share a story. Jason's best friend, Jason's best friend in the whole world who he talked about in the podcast. You know, he even brought up this little fact that, that everybody raised money for the guy. He didn't have anything left over for his kid. Everybody raised money. We did a big fundraiser, donated things, everything like that for, uh, for Jocko, Jocko Alston. And, uh, his sister mismanaged, uh, she didn't mismanage. She stole the money from the account that was first. She was supposed to be the, you know, the executor, the, uh, there's another, there's a better word for it, not executor, but the, uh, whatever, uh, she was guarding the money. She was the treasurer. It's still not the right word, but, um, for, for Jocko's daughter's money. When she grew up, she was a little, little baby girl. And, uh, when she grows up, she would have that money there. It would grow for years and be like a college fund or, you know, schooling for her, um, to have the things that she needs because her dad's not around anymore. And the sister took the money out of it and spent it and spent it until there was nothing left. And Jason, um, you know, his best friend was dead. This was important. Jason took her to court and they, they found that, you know, this, that by the time everything was done, there was nothing left for the kid after legal fees and everything. There's nothing left for the kids. The whole idea is that this, this woman took the money, got away with it. And even, even to take her to court, there was nothing that was worth being done. She didn't have any money to pay back. She didn't have anything that she could do, whatever. But the idea is that this person blood, she fucked over her own brother's kid and Jason was living, right? Cause it was close to him. It was close to him. But I said to him, when I found that I go, dude, this guy basically Jocko's is Jocko's sister. You know, same thing. Fucked over the, 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 the widows, your own family member. I go, and you're still like, you already know that you hate that, that, that blows your mind. But I go, you're still going to vote for the guy. He goes, doesn't matter what he did. I'm still, I'm voting conservative. No matter what is what he said to me. Word for word. I'm voting conservative no matter what. So, um, I, I promise that if you guys are, are listening to this and waiting for this rant to be over, I promise that. Uh, this is why I won't talk. I don't want to talk about politics. I'll give it to you this one time because there's just so many things that were close that I thought were horrible. 
But the thing is, Jason is a business owner. And when the previous, uh, you know, premier of Ontario, uh, raised minimum wage, um, he was so against that, that, that you had to get her out. So by any means, when you're like, Oh, you're, you're, paying people. I can't, I'm not paying people this much more big hike, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He, by any means had to get that person out. So that's why he voted the way he did. It has nothing to do with anything else. doesn't matter how ethical or unethical the guy seemed. It was just not the people who are going to increase minimum wage. So you can bet your ass that minimum wage will not be going up to $15 in January, uh, as it was originally said that it would, um, in Ontario, again, internationally, guys, I'm so sorry that you're listening to all this. I think some of the points that I'm making are relevant. <clears throat> Certainly not funny, but um, yeah. So uh, that's the guy who's going to be in charge for the next four months. And I also think shame on the polit- the conservative party for really out of everybody that was there, them thinking, oh, that's the best guy for the job. The big fat guy who's a terrible, it's not, you know what, him being fat is nothing. I'm a big fat guy, me being fat. You know, it doesn't make it, it just, it's just, it's, it's a simple attack. It's because I don't like them and I'm attacking what's easy and visible you know, so, uh, that's shame on me for that. But, um, what I'm getting at is shame on the conservatives for not having anybody in their entire party that could have been a better suit to, to be leader than that. You know, that guy, I think that they, I think that they did the lazy thing, which is to go, Oh, you know, this guy's got some notoriety because of his brother. So let's, let's let, let, let him lead. He'll be the best guy for the job. So anyways, that's, that's, that was the, the, election day. So we'll see what happens. I had so many comedians, you know, going through Instagram and stuff like that, that were just like, really Ontario, really, this is what you, this is this. So this is what you did, huh? Like all of you just decided, <sighs> anyways, <clears throat> I hope I satisfied anyone who wanted to know what I thought of the elections needs to know my thoughts. Uh, Friday, still sick, woke up, wasn't as horrible, but I was still sick. And I had a tasting that afternoon. So I slept in as long as I could, mm, excuse me. And, uh, and then I got up. I think I spent a bit of time with my mom. My mom had a day off. So, uh, or did she, I don't know. Spent some time with her, took her out. Uh, am I even thinking the right fucking day? I don't think I am. Whatever. Point being is Friday. I had a tasting in the afternoon. I felt like shit. And I was really debating on whether or not I was going to be able to, to do it. But, uh, I don't know if this happens to you guys. I was waking up the few days prior all while I was sick. I was waking up with my left ear, like completely clogged. Um, and I don't know if that ever happens to you guys. I, I get wax buildups once every couple of years, I got to go into the doctor and they just, they just use that, that ear syringe thing and they, they flush them out. And I usually get something the size of a, you know, a, a gross size, something the size of an almond in one solid piece come out of my ear. And, um, so I was just like, I wanted to get in. Oh fuck. I didn't even tell you guys the, the, the part, look at me just all over the map. Um, I got a, I got a parking ticket when I was working the election, got a parking ticket. I was downtown, the place I was parking all day. Every time I had to go back to head office and get something, um, Ottawa is known for special little rush hour, no stopping things. I'm sure a lot of other cities are too. Well, I had put my car, you know, even said I was foreshadowing earlier. I put my car into one of those no stopping zones, um, because it's totally cool to park there all day until after, you know, three o'clock. And, uh, fuck, had I been there like 15 minutes later, I wouldn't have got the ticket, but got the ticket to come back down and see, see this white thing flapping on my windshield. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. 120 bucks, $120. So, you know, a good chunk out of what I was making that day for even working this thing while sick was now just going to go back to the city 
for parking. So I decided I was going to fight that, but Friday was so sick. I, uh, I, you know, I was going to try to go in Friday morning to, to argue with the justice, but I was, I was still not feeling well. So I just slept all Friday morning. Um, but yeah, so, um, was waking up kind of deaf because of the earwax. If you lay on the side and you got too much wax buildup, it basically just clogs, sucks your fucking canal shut. And you don't hear anything. You wait as the day goes by for it to sort of loosen, loosen and let you hear again, fucking gross and, and very inconvenient too. So Friday I decided I was going to see if I could squeeze into the doctor real quick and have them flush me out before, uh, before my, my tasting. And luckily I did manage to get in there, um, beforehand. Uh, the doctor was, here's the thing. The doctor was actually arguing with me about to do it because he's like, he's like, yeah, I can do it. But uh, if you put, uh, I don't want to do his accent cause I'm going to seem like I'm a piece of shit, but, um, let's put it this way. It was a lot more difficult to understand, but he's like, if you want to put, you know, oil in first, it'll soften the wax up. And I go, no, it's, I go, it's all right. Like, I don't, I don't feel well. I don't feel like going out and buying oil first. And then coming back a couple of days later, I go, I'm like, I'm not feeling well. I'm congested. I'd really like to get this out, please. It, it, it hurts. It's uncomfortable. I'm having a hard time hearing. And he's like, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to come back like after the drops. No, I don't. Okay. Well, you know, if it's the wax isn't soft, you know, like, I don't like, I don't really want to do this if we don't have to, because, you know, like you could perforate the eardrum, getting your head flushed. And I go, okay, how often does that happen? He goes, well, it's never happened to me. And I, I you know, it's super rare, but just, just so you know, it could happen. I go, okay, well, I, I signed your little waiver thing. You know, it's the first time I've ever had to sign the waiver, but I signed your waiver. And that they, they told me at the front too, when, when they made me sign it, I was a little worried. And they're like, well, just some doctors ask you to sign it. Some don't. It's like, okay. So this guy's all, you know, you can perforate the eardrum. I go, okay. He goes, it's very rare, but it doesn't, it happens. Okay. I, yeah, I still want to do it. You know, I want this out of my head. Try not to perforate my eardrum, please. Um, okay. Well, just, well, you know, just be careful. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm Yeah, I'm here. Let's do this. I feel like I'm, I'm arguing with this guy's sick. Like I'm already taking time out of my day, you know, to do this. Let's do it. I don't want to come back. Let's do it. So I finally get him to fucking agree to, you know, to, to do it. And, uh, a big fucking chunk came out and it was actually, it was really gross. I don't I'm, I'm even reluctant. I should have taken a picture. That would have been really gross, but it was like a big round chunk of wax. And I just, I picked it up. And when I went to like squeeze it, I don't know. I'm fucking gross. I guess when I went to squeeze, there was like all, it seemed like there was all super red on the inside. Like it was blood or something. Anyways, it was gross. It was gross, but it's not in my head anymore. And immediately immediately I actually felt a lot better because like I said, my, my ear canals were all irritated and stuff like that. You know, it could have been my, the, the difficulty. Cause again, a lot of stuff, you know, bacteria and stuff, it gets drained through your ear canals, down your throat, into your stomach, and then out your colon, right? That's how shit works. So if your ears are backed up, it doesn't allow that drainage and bacteria can build up and make you feel even fucking worse. Right. And it clogs, it's part of your sinuses and everything like that. So long, gross story short, I got him to clear me out and I immediately started to feel better. I uh, went home, changed, and then went to my tasting. I tasted, uh, did a tasting for Johnny Walker Black. So it's a nice blended scotch whiskey. Um, and I did one for uh, a scotch called Cardhu, C-A-R-D-H-U, uh, 12-year-old single malt scotch. And uh, and those were on sale. I actually noticed there's a lot of scotches on sale at the LCBO because Father's Day is coming up. And so, uh, you know, it's a good time. If you are a scotch drinker like myself, it's a good time to pick up some really nice bottles. Um, cause a lot of them are on sale, uh, 10 bucks off of the Dalmore. I'll have you guys know Dalmore 12 year old, $98 a bottle down to 88. And I'll, and I will say this, a lot of things at the LCBO go like on sale, like 
you know, two, three bucks off, sometimes one buck, like something that like they'll actually be like a sale, a dollar off this $30 bottle. And it's supposed to be a big deal. Cause I guess they just don't go on sale very often the booze. So to get $10 off of, of a hundred dollar bottle is a, is a big deal. So you think, oh, the bigger the price tag, the more it goes off. It's not like, again, they still advertise $2 off a $130 bottle. Like it's a big fucking deal. Um, so yeah, um, lots of, lots of scotch on sales. I did the tastings for that. Um, sold out of the Cardu, uh, cause it was also on sale. I think like six, six or seven bucks off for it from 73 down as no, it was only five. It was five bucks off. I remember being from 73 down to 68. Anyways, um, it's a great scotch. Scotch is going to be the theme of this week, guys, uh, just for what it's worth. So, um, I did my tasting and went home and I went to bed, got up Saturday. I, uh, I did spend some time with the mother. I think that's the day I'm thinking of. Yeah. Cause it was before the tasting. Yeah. So I spent some time with her on Saturday. I think we had lunch and, um, and played some games. My mom was looking forward to, uh, you know, playing her little seven wonders, uh, dual game that she really enjoys. And like I said, I'm, I'm enjoying spending some time with her. She's got time off and, and she's, uh, you know, it's, it's nice. We're building a better relationship. We still argue, but it's not the same as it, it once was. And, um, it's good. I, I think it feels good. And this is going to relate to something, an email that, uh, my friend red has sent me that I'll be reading later on in the, uh, the episode. I think it's something of, of my life. If I look to where my life was, you know, a few years ago and to where it is now that, uh, that's something I'm really glad that has improved is my relationship with my mom. It's uh, we don't fight and shit all the time. So, um, and you know, when we spend more quality time, we don't get together and like, you know, just watch a movie and not talk. That was something my mom really hated about, you know, when people go to the movies and stuff, she's like, people just go to the movies and you're just sitting next to somebody, you know, you're not spending time with them necessarily. Like you're with them, but you know, you don't not talk or whatever. You're just, just sitting next to them and, and, you know, doesn't seem very, very fun to her. So it's nice that we, you know, play games and we talk, we shoot the shit and, you know, go for breakfasts and lunches and stuff like that. So, and, and I enjoy it, you know, cause all you guys have fucking different hours than I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, I did a, a tasting on Saturday night first for, uh, uh, you know, a spirit called Siroc. Some of you may be familiar with it. Some may not. It is a new spirit made with grapes. So it's kind of like a, uh, a vodka. There's lots of different flavored ones, but it's not, it's not a vodka. It's a Siroc. It's uh, it's made with uh, using grapes as the uh, you know, the, the main ingredient uh, and then they, they distill it down to the final product. So um, I was sampling a pineapple and uh, summer colada. They called it. <laughs> Um, I liked pineapple, didn't like the summer colada. I'd really like to try Ciroc's, um, their main one, because the main one is kind of like, just, you know, like I said, it's not like vodka. It's, it's a clear spirit. And, uh, it's, I think the main one is 30 or sorry, 40% for the main one. And it comes in a, a bottle with a blue, blue dot on it. And all the different colors have different colored dots on them. Blah, blah, blah. Point is I'd like to try the real thing, but it was nice. Great. It's expensive. $50 for a 750 milliliter bottle. So uh, it's a pricier spirit to make. So it's certainly not one you'd want to buy and then like mix with orange juice or Coke or something. You'd want to taste the product itself, right? Like mixing a scotch with, with something. Um, all right. So, so as we speak, this particular coffee I've been working on for so long that I've mentioned, um, that, that, that Cardu scotch that we had, once we, once we were sold out of that stuff, I had some left in the bottle. I poured it into my metal water bottle. This is a confession. I poured it into a couple ounces into my, uh, my water bottle. And because I've been sick, I haven't been interested in drinking it. So I basically, I scored a couple ounces of free fucking single malt scotch. All right. I didn't pour it into the water. The water bottle was empty. Um, 
but I've had a couple ounces of, of this cardu scotch, right? And it's been sitting in a metal water bottle. Um, not the best, you know, place to put a, a scotch or whatever, but it's the only way I can get out of the store without, uh, you know, breaking any rules. So, um, I poured that into my coffee earlier, my, my McDonald's coffee. What a, what a horrible mix. I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to be, I'm still, I've been sick the last few days, so I've had no interest in drinking it. So I just, uh, I poured a couple ounces into my, uh, my coffee and it was more than I should have instead of it being like, I think one ounce would have been perfect. Just a nice Irish up the coffee a little bit. Instead, I poured like probably two and a half ounces in here, which was the entire amount that I got. And, um, and it is, uh, I'm basically just, it's so funny. It tastes like scotch with this tiny little coffee aftertaste. Um, but I'll tell you the price was right. So yeah, I don't know. I did the, the, the syrup tasting was not bad. I would say if you're like, that's, that's, that's why I bring up the point of like, if you're going to get something that's premium in quality, you don't mix it. Like somebody, when they were tasting the Ciroc pine or uh, colada, they were like, oh, you could put this in orange juice. And I was like, yeah, you could, but you'd be wasting $20. You can buy a bottle of Malibu. If you want to taste coconut in your orange juice, go buy yourself a bottle of Malibu. You know, it'll cost you 25 bucks or 30 bucks. And, you know, you're not going to be wasting you know, the extra $20 to not taste the Ciroc, you know, you may as well enjoy the quality of something craft. Same with scotch. Whatever. That's my long point. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if this has got any direction to it all this week, guys. Not the funniest thing, but, uh, they're never, they're never that funny. It's me telling you guys what's going on with me. And sometimes it's funny. And sometimes I'm sick for a week working, boring ass elections and doing tastings and talking to people that don't know nothing, you know? So anyways, did the Ciroc tasting. Uh, oh, I had a, man, this is, this is really interesting. I had to renew my, uh, my, uh, Josh Williams comedy domain for, uh, you know, I've got a bunch of different email addresses from it. So my comedy email address was, uh, oh, Jason's calling. I don't know why Jason's calling. Let's answer and see what's going on. Hey Jay, you're on my watch and I'm recording the podcast. What's going on? It's going great. What can I do for you? Uh, it's in the phone number for Costco. The number you call when you're checking stock there. The number you call when you're checking stock? All right. Give me one sec. Yep. Give me one sec. I do that. Uh, let me, uh, let's just do this together. <laughs> Lucky for you. I have all this stuff in my phone. Ready to go. Are you checking online or is it on your phone? I'm checking on my phone. Uh, the number is... Yep, don't worry. This one is 613-727-4786. I assume that you're going to the Hunt Club one? Yeah. Yeah, because if that's the number I gave you, if, you, if we're checking stocks and What's that? Thanks, man. Take care. Hey, no worries. Bye. Thanks, man. Take care. All right, wasn't that a lovely interaction? Um... <laughs> Always call Costa first. We, him and I shop there too much. That's the, uh, that's the dynamic that we have. That's the guy who voted for that piece of shit. He's voting conservative no matter what, you guys. No matter what, and you check your Costco stocks. Ah, oh, fuck. What the hell are we talking about, huh? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, my, uh, my email address. So I, I, um, I guess I, I 
switched credit cards or something like that. I switched a card number or I renewed a card or whatever. Point being is I guess like my internet provider wasn't able to charge my, my card. <clears throat> and what they did was they didn't send me an email right away. So this was, I don't know. It was a, basically, it was a scare that happened right Saturday as I'm getting ready for the tasting. So I, um, I realized, uh, that I hadn't received an email on that particular address in a couple of days. I usually get like 15 spam a day plus anything relevant. And I realized in a day and a half, I hadn't got a single email on that. So I was like, well, that's fucking weird. And I, I went to check and all I remember was like, I, I don't know why, I guess I got lucky. My brain synapses connected the right two things together, but my brain was like, Hey, remember last month when, when GoDaddy said that you were, you know, you were, you needed to renew some products, you know, and that guy called and, you know, you were like, Oh, we should go over some of the stuff that you don't want to renew. What if your email address was one of the things that you didn't renew somehow? And I was like, Hmm, that would be bad because if you don't renew your, your domain name, the emails that you've got attached to it also don't happen. And then you don't get emailed when they tell you that your services are not working or whatever. So basically like, and every way I get paid from a lot of things that I do is like e-transfers and shit like that. Right. So if you don't have an email address, you can't fucking get them. I could give them other email addresses, but, but people are used to one and you can't even fucking email them to say, Hey, whatever. Long story short, I was like, fuck, I need to activate this. So I ended up having to dump a bunch of money at them, like over a fucking five minute phone call. Like, all right, what do you need? Take it, take it. Here's my number. Take it, take it, take it. So that was, that was definitely a quick little panic because, and when I first got it back to, I wasn't receiving emails right away. So part of me was concerned that like every single email that someone may have sent to me over that, like, tw you know, 24 hour, 48 hour period would just get like a, sorry, you know, that, like that mailer daemon thing or whatever the fuck it's called. Sorry, this is not a real email address. So, you know, uh, try again, fucker or, or find the right one. So anyways, needless to say, I got it fixed. That was just a quick little scare to get my poor sick head and fucking heart going a little bit there. Um, on Sunday, I did the usual, right? Be a good son. Take my mom to get her groceries and, and run her errands. Um, I came back uh, with her and we were going to hang out and, uh, and you know, play some board games or something. But, uh, you know, I was like, I'm going to do some food prep first. And so my mom helped me do the uh, the usual. I think if anyone was looking at the Instagram or whatever, I had, uh, I did up, uh, you know, a whole thing of chicken breasts, you know, a whole, whole frying, or not frying pan, a whole baking tray of, of chicken breasts. Plus I did uh, two trays of, of, uh, come on, bro. Brains, uh, sweet potato. Wow. Fuck. I'm getting old. It's so hard to just think of simple stuff, sweet potato, chicken, and broccoli again, right? Portioned them all out, got them ready for the week. And that's what I've been eating, uh, ever since I've been doing, been doing much better with the eating since Sunday. It is of course, as usual, Tuesday, me recording this podcast right now. And, um, yeah, I've been eating that, uh, it's good. I think, um, yesterday, we, uh, I'm sorry. It was funny. Cause while we were prepping the food, my mom was watching some, uh, a board game show on YouTube. Very fun show called uh, tabletop. That's one of the ones we watch. Another one we watch is called watch it played. Um, if, if any of you have been listening to me talking about board games here and there going like, how the fuck could you possibly be interested in this stuff? Um, when I first started dabbling, playing a game here or there, some people had suggested these to me. And I remember, you know, um, going on these, these YouTube channels and going, well, I'll, I'll see that, what that game, someone mentioned this game and then I'd really like it. Well, 
you know, they told me to go to this, watch it played or, or tabletop. I'll take a look at it there. And you just see like celebrities that, you know, and, and fun people, whatever, like playing the games together with really good production values and stuff like that. You're like, Oh fuck, this is funny. And it's fun to watch. And before I knew it, I was watching different episodes of this stuff like that. And, and that's what just got me even more interested in games. And then I'd ask my, my nerdy gaming friends, if they've played this, if they play that, Oh yeah, it's a great game. You got to play. And then we'd get together and they'd let me try that and stuff. So, um, for any of you who may be interested you know, in, uh, in like, why is he so into this? Take, take a look. Tabletop. It's hosted by Will Wheaton, uh, right. From, uh, from, you know, big bang theory and some other more notable things like star Trek and whatnot. But, uh, Will Wheaton's the host on that. And then there's the, the show watch it played where if you're kind of like, Oh, I've, I've got these games that I've never played them and I don't really know how they seem complicated. Just check out an episode of watch it played. They explain it. And then they, then you get to watch them actually play the game and, and see how it goes. So, uh, my mom was watching some of those while we were, uh, peeling potatoes and stuff like that. We, we were watching a bunch of stuff for a game called Tokaido, which I'm, uh, I've never played. I own, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to play for the first time. Um, yeah. And that was, that was Sunday. So day of errands, food prep. And then we played some board games. Um, Monday, I went back to work Uber, uh, feeling, uh, I guess relieved from the illness. I wasn't feeling great on Sunday, but I'm feeling much better. Now my system is in a state of, uh, clearing house and cleaning, but, uh, I went to, uh, to Uber yesterday in the morning that went well. And then I went to fight that, uh, that no stopping ticket and, um, I got lucky. They were very kind. Uh, the, the woman there was very kind and she took mercy on me. So she cut it. She cut the early payment price in half. So I paid 50 bucks for the ticket, still making my horrible day of running around worthwhile, uh, to some extent, not having to pay, you know, an extra 70 bucks for a parking ticket. So it would have cost me 120 and instead I got it for 50. So happy, happy little man. I posted a Instagram video and, and whatnot about the whole ordeal. I did have a bit of an issue with it and I'll try not to fucking bitch about it forever. But, uh, when I first got in there, there was like a, a relatively long line and about five, 10 minutes after I was there, the lineup behind me grew two, three times longer. So there was a huge long line. And then at one point, you know, still, still nine or 10 people in front of me. Like I, I think that in that 10 minutes that I was there, maybe two people got served. So this lineup was taking forever. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, like I said, the lineup got two or three times longer behind me. So now, I mean, I got there at the right time in terms of that line, sort of, because then one woman goes, uh, you know, she jumps on a cash and she goes, uh, right here. If you need a payment right here, if you're just, if you're just making a payment, no inquiries or anything like that, just making a payment. So I was there to speak to a justice. And if anyone's ever done that before, if you get a ticket, you know, you can go to a justice and they'll usually just cut it in half for nothing. I was like, well, that's an inquiry. I, I need to say, Hey, I'm here to speak to a justice. They got to put my, my ticket in a file. And then I go into another room and I talk to a justice. You wait your turn for that. That's not just a payment. Cause I'm not about to pay what I'm holding in my hand. I'm going to argue it or dispute it or talk to someone. So yeah, I'm not just a payment. So she goes, just payments in this line, anything, no, any other inquiries, guys, you stay in line or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So good, good, you know, 10, 15 people leave the line. No one in front of me, all of them behind me go into this payment line. So, okay, there you go. At least it's going to free things up for, for other people with issues like myself. And then I think we get, um, you know, I think I, my, the lines sort of start to move. There's like 20 people in this payment line. I think they get to, I get to the second, second next person to see someone at the wickets. And all of a sudden I hear someone, you know, uh, in the payment line go, I want to argue this. I don't want to. And they go, Oh, you'd like to speak to a justice. And he goes, yes. Go, okay, perfect. So she takes his ticket, puts it in the folder, 
didn't have the justice here. Number 16, just go have a seat over there. And I go, uh, what the fuck is that? I go, I thought, uh, no inquiries or anything like that. You know, and the two, like a person in front of me, the person behind me is like, yeah, what the hell? Like, I go, are you judging? They go, yeah, I'm here to dispute it too. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, well, that's horseshit. We were all told there's no inquiries, you know? So now people who were behind me in line are now in front of me for speaking to a justice. And again, with how slow this is going, again, I'm not feeling the greatest, feeling better, but not great. And uh, I'm just standing there like, what the hell? So I finally, you know, I get up to the front of the line, my person to talk to a, to a guy or my turn to talk to a guy. And, and I said to him, Hey man, I'm not, I'm not giving you a hard time. Cause I know this isn't your fault, but could you do me a favor? Could you maybe explain to that woman there to, you know, that, that when she says no inquiries, payments only, she may want to clarify because I didn't realize I could stand in her line and get, and he goes, you know what, sir, what, sir, what, what do you want? What do you want? You know, don't worry about that. Just what do you want? I go, I go, well, I I'm trying to explain to you that I wouldn't have been in this lineup. You know, I go, now there's people who were behind me who are in front of me. And I go, that's, that's not fair, especially considering that I could have been in that lineup. I would have been out of here by now. I go, sir, I don't care about that. Just what do you want? Like, what can I do for you? And I was like, wow, I go, I'm trying to make this easier on you because I could be that person who's standing here yelling and screaming. I'm not, I'm trying to give you, you guys get yelled at all day long. I'm just saying like, that's really, that sucks. You know? And he just, he just, what do you want? I was like, it's okay. I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, it's just explained, sir, if you're listening, I'd like to speak with the justice about this. Okay. Puts the thing full. Go ahead and have a seat over there. You'll be number 20 or 21 or whatever. So I was like, wow, okay. And I was like, I heard that guy be number 16. So just to give you an idea of how the, how the guy way behind me in line was like five ahead of me to speak to a justice now. So when I spoke to the justice, I just said to her, like, I did all my stuff first. She was nice, polite and everything. I said, I just want to let you know, uh, the guy there was, you know, he was very, um, rude. I go, I go, maybe rude is too harsh. Cause I wasn't trying, I'm not trying to cost anyone their job, but I'm like, he was very, I go, he was less than rude, but way more than dismissive. And I go, and I, all I was trying to do was give constructive feedback. I wasn't rude. I even started with, I know this isn't your fault, but I go, but I'm standing in line. I go, you don't even have to care. At the end of the day, honestly, everybody in customer service, you don't even have to care, but don't let me know blatantly that you don't give a fuck. Don't let your customers know that you don't care at all about what you know they're going through at least if you sit there and listen and go okay no problem i'll be sure to say something thanks thanks it just makes that's what the customer is always right means it doesn't mean that they're correct in what they're saying it means that you always respect what the customer has to say and make them feel like you're listening or like they're validated okay that's what the customer is always right means i've argued with jay all the time because the customer's not always right they're not always fucking right well, then Jay, you've missed the point of what that saying is, is that as a customer or, or a client or whatever it is, as someone being served, you, you let us feel validated. So you, you don't stand there and go, as, as, sir, that, none of that matters. What do you want? I don't, I don't care about that. What do you want? That's the wrong thing to do. You listen. I don't give a shit if you don't care because I won't know. I'll leave. I'll never know if you spoke to Janet or not, but at least I feel like I, A, I did the right thing by giving you feedback and letting you know that, hey, that could cause you a way bigger problem if I was the kind of person who'd scream and yell at the top of my lungs. And B, I just feel validated. You know what I mean? You don't have to do anything. Everybody wins. I feel validated. You don't have to fucking do anything. But no, the guy was basically, just, nah, fuck you, whatever. So I, I just said to her, I'm like, hey, look, I, I was trying to give some feedback. I'm, I'm, I would have seen you six people sooner, but unfortunately, the woman at the desk was really unclear about what her lineup was. She was just payments only, no inquiries. 
whatever. So long story short is I got what I was after going there, but it just took me probably 45 minutes longer than it needed to because, uh, cause people are fucking bad with communication. You know, when you try to be a nice guy and just say, Hey, look, you know, this is really frustrating. Uh, that's, you know, it's going to save you guys. A lot of people yelling at you later on. If someone, you know, I guess some people might be thinking, well, Josh, you were a pain in the ass. You said something you complained. I did because I didn't want, I've been that guy in that situation before. When you create the angry customers out of nothing, it can be way worse where someone screams and yells and you can't calm them down. I was very calm. As soon as I could tell the guy didn't care, I just moved forward and I told somebody else, Hey, you know, this, this took longer than it should have. It was really unfair. It was really unclear. And had I been the kind of person who's going to scream and yell at you guys, cause I know they're out there. I know they exist. They're already here paying money for what they think is unfair. The last thing you guys need. And, and this woman was very like, as soon as I'm like, people come in and yell at you guys all the time. She's like, she smiled and she nodded. I go, I wasn't yelling at you. I was just trying to say it's easier for them to be clear. Whatever. I, I'm just repeating myself. You guys get it. You get it. You get it. I'm moving on. So I fought my ticket and I think like 1130 in the morning, this is, this is sad and pathetic. This is really sad and pathetic, but I'm still going to tell you guys the story. I, uh, I just was like, um, I gave my mom a call cause she's off this week and I was just saying, how you do? She's like, oh, I made a pot of maple coffee. Cause we, we bought maple coffee and I kind of wanted to know how she, uh, how she liked it. And she's like, I bought maple coffee. I've got some of the products. She's like, if you want to come by on your way home. And I was on my way home and I had to drive right through her area to do it. So I said, okay, I'll come, come have a cup of coffee with you. And she was sort of sitting around. You could tell she didn't have much to do with her day. So, um, she really enjoys playing that seven wonders game. As I told you, we play a two player version called seven wonders duel, but the, the large version that, that we play that requires way more players, there's actually an app for it. And so I was saying to her while I was there, I'm like, you know, you should download the app for seven wonders. That way you can play it, you know? When you're alone, you got nobody to play with, whatever you can sit and you could play it or you can play it on the bus on your way to work or whatever. So I downloaded it for her and uh, I was showing her how to play it. And we, we, it was like, oh, we can go through the rounds quick because there's not constant card shuffling. The episode. I sat there with my mom for like five, six hours straight and we were just playing it. And the thing was, it's Apple and she has Apple TV. So we're playing it on our iPad. We're air playing it to the TV. So, you know, we can see what the other person is doing and we're just taking turns playing that and have fun. She was having fun though. And it was, you know, honestly, like I said, it's nice to, to be around my mom when she's in a good mood and having fun. So, um, I, I was only going to come home and, and sort of get some notes ready for the podcast and, you know, clean up a little bit and, you know, maybe try to read or something. No, I sacrificed the entire day to that. So, um, came home last night and I watched, uh, then got home at like seven o'clock at night. So I think uh, like 1130, at her place from like 1130 to like 730. I was there for so long. We were just playing, but she was having a great time. And I'm sure she was still, I spoke to her very briefly this morning and she was saying that she was still, she was up late playing her game and she had to, her, my, her and my dad were, were passing it back and forth playing it. So, um, that was cool that she's enjoying it. I I'm really, uh, really happy to hear that. So lame and cheesy and I wasted the whole fucking day, but it was worth it. It was worth it. <clears throat> when I got home. Um, I was dicking around on Netflix and I happened to notice that the movie, the disaster artist was on, uh, was on Netflix. And, uh, that's a movie with James Franco and Seth Rogen and, uh, that other Franco guy. Did I say James Franco? James Franco is the James, the, the guy who plays Tommy Wiseau. I'm trying to think of what his fucking brother's name is. He's been in stuff like now you see me now, you know, so his brother is in it as well. And, um, it's supposed to be based on the, the movie called the room. Well, it is based on the movie. Not supposed to be. It fucking is. 
And I know a reasonable amount. I haven't seen the room, but I know a reasonable amount. It's like one of those movies that like, the acting is so fucking bad in this movie. And they, uh, I hadn't seen it, but I really wanted to see this disaster artist movie. It looked really funny. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of good commercials for it and stuff like that. Um, so obviously I was watching like little YouTube videos and stuff on the room and trying to get more and more. There's these scenes that they keep showing over and over and over bad writing, bad acting from this main character, Tommy Wiseau or whatever. And I decided I need to see this movie, the room. So I tried to rent it on iTunes and it's not on there. And, uh, I went on YouTube and I think the way YouTube works, you used to be able to upload full movies onto YouTube. Now it's got like a voice and, and image recognizer so that like, if you try to upload something, it blocks you. And YouTube is also now renting movies themselves. You pay YouTube and you can watch the movie on there. So I, the, the version that I was watching of the room was like the full size of my screen and like a third of it, you know, scanned down and in the corner was the actual movie. The rest of it was just like the sky with clouds moving. So they basically, I think they were trying to trick YouTube's, uh, scanning to, to, so that it, they wouldn't understand that that was, you know, the whole screen is not, you know, recognized as the movie. Cause it's just a part of the screen squished down. And also the audio. So when I upload the podcast to YouTube, I always get notifications telling me that my, my, uh, video contains copyrighted material, which is the monkey junks song song, show me yours. And it's like, you can't post it. And if, if you get any residuals from this, it's going to go to Stony Plains records, the, the company that, that owns the music, um, and not me. So that's why I've been less interested in putting stuff up on YouTube, but it, it recognizes it. It runs it through its own filter and recognizes that it's the music. So I would imagine that the same is true of movies. So even though you, you change the screen and what it looks like, you also have to change the sound. So I'm watching this version of the room played in like fast. Uh, it sounds like they're chipmunks. So when they're talking, their voices don't sound proper. And, <laughs> and it's a small little screen at the bottom. Luckily I have a giant fucking TV, but I think it's also a shitty movie. It's a bad movie. Like it's called the room, but it's about like a dude who's got a girlfriend. They're supposed to get married, but she doesn't love him anymore. And she's cheating on him with his best friend. And it's supposed to be about like, you know, the ultimate betrayals and things like that. But the, but the idea is it's just shit. It's stupid scenes with, with odd dialogue laughing when you shouldn't be laughing, you know, like someone tells you like a, a dark story and he's like, ha ha great story, Mark, you know, and he talks like this. He doesn't even have the right way to talk when he talk not even proper, you know? So like, he does the scene. Hello, hi, doggy. How are you? You know, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Like he's just he he's you could tell he's he's just awful, just fucking awful. So the movie, The Disaster Artist, um, with James Franco and and Frankie Frankie Franco. I don't fucking know what his name is. The fucking brother. Um, Seth Rogen. The whole movie is basically about this Tommy Wiseau guy and everything he was doing leading up to making the movie, the room. Um, and I think that it was, it's based on a book that was written by Greg, his friend who, who played his best friend in the movie, but it was also like, you know, the, the, his friend, while the guy was, you know, trying to get this movie ready or whatever. Um, he wrote a book, I think in like 2013 called the disaster artist, whatever. And it was like talking about the room and, and everything that they did. The main character, not only is he a bad actor, he's like, he's fucking weird no mental eccentric like this is a guy who like 
claimed to be the same age as the young guy who clearly wasn't like you look at him and he's an old fucking guy in the movie you know what i mean and he's like trying he says like i'm like i'm the same age as you like 22 or whatever and it's like he's clearly not he's the guy's clearly in his fucking 40s you know and there's everything from like it's i'm glad i watched what i did i watched like 40 minutes of the two hour room and i was like yeah i can't do this is awful um but like even the very first like the movie starts off with like a sex scene so i was like yeah you can tell this is like an independent shit movie where the guy feels the need to like have sex scenes in the movie over and over again you know what i mean and like and when he's like he's basically like showing his ass in the scenes you don't see you see the girl like there's there's full nudity from the woman except for you know vaginal whatever but there's like totally nude you see breasts everything like that he doesn't touch her breasts doesn't kiss her breasts just has breasts in it and his ass is like a big thing like and he really wanted it and the point where it's like he's like he's fucking i'm watching this and he's got like his he's fucking like her stomach where the way he's like lifted up over top of her and where he's thrusting is not between her legs it's her stomach and i'm like what the fuck is he fucking her stomach like what the hell you have to see how bad this movie is but then in the disaster artist like everything that was going on like all these things that i was watching going what the fuck is this like oh my god that's bad oh that's stupid like all these thoughts i'm having when they were doing the disaster artist and they're now recreating these scenes where where Tom, uh, James Franco is playing Tommy Wiseau, like they're they're doing the scene where he's like fucking her near her stomach, whatever, and and you know Seth Rogen is like, is he is he fucking her her belly button? What the fuck? So like basically all the things I was thinking an hour prior watching the thing they're now doing in this movie. So, um, I I fell asleep before the end, but. You gotta, I think you definitely need to, I think you needed to watch the room. I don't know if a YouTube video will do it justice. Um, you need to see sort of the dialogue and, and you know how you don't care about any of the characters or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, and you also, it's like, it's, it really is kind of like a documentary piece. It's almost like watching the founder of the McDonald's one. You're seeing this guy who's like a weirdo who took on this kid and like helped him out. This guy had money too. It wasn't like your average independent film where it's like, I'll do what I can with my little handheld camera. This guy, this guy somehow inexplicably refused to like talk about where he came from, has all this money, which still to this day, you can Wikipedia and everything. He really has not said where his money came from, you know, excuse me. It really hasn't said where his money comes from or anything like that. Uh, lies about where he's from. He says he's from new Orleans He's clearly not. He's got some weird Eastern European accent or something. So, you know, and you see, you see him like, you know, try, he wants to be an actor. He wants to be an actor. He wants to be like James Dean, all these things. And then, you know, one day befriends this kid and they both move to his Los Angeles apartment. Cause he's got an, he's got an apartment in San Francisco and he's got an apartment in, in Los Angeles takes his kid with them. Young guy, they become friends. The young kid definitely overshadows him in terms of the acting abilities and starts getting gigs and stuff. And then this kid's loyalty to the guy actually ends up costing him real opportunities and stuff like that. But, um, I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything because you could see it right from the get-go where he's just sort of, I don't want to say sabotaging the guy, but you can definitely see where um, the jealousy of the main character, Tommy Wiseau is like, oh, this kid has actually got the capabilities and, you know, because Hollywood won't, won't give him a chance because he sucks. He decides to do it himself and luckily he's got millions of dollars to do that. So it is what it is. I don't know. Good movie. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, the room is not a good movie. I fell asleep when they were actually screening it. 
they were actually at the, uh, the premiere of the movie. Um, I was, I was falling asleep, so I missed sort of how it all turned out, but it was, uh, it was worth the watch. Uh, missed Ubering today. I luckily didn't get a parking ticket. I, I woke up this morning. You ever do that thing with your phone where you don't have the, uh, the thing slid? I don't know how it works on Androids, but on Apple, you set the time and then there's a little slider that's like on or off. And I know it was on when I went to bed. Motherfuckers, I know I check every day. So, um, without telling too much of a story, uh, we have three parking spots here, but Kamara and I both leave early in the morning. And if, uh, we get home after Jason has left, then, uh, one of us has to park in the driveway and then get blocked in by Jay in the morning and have to wake him up. And it's a big fucking ordeal. Yada, yada, yada. So when I got home last night after dicking around at my mom's, I parked on the street and no big deal. You can get a ticket on the street, but only after seven o'clock in the morning. And this was well after seven o'clock at night. So everything's gonna be fine. I'm going to wake up tomorrow at six and Uber. I'm in no danger at all. Boom. Wake up. It's nine o'clock this morning. So not only did I miss all of the busy time for Ubering, um, first thought in my head is, oh fuck, my fucking car's on the street and it's nine o'clock. I'm now, I'm, I was basically preparing myself for my second parking ticket in less than a week. So shorts on downstairs, uh, right away. And, uh, and as I'm running across here, this is like, like 60 seconds from when I woke up, I'm going downstairs fully expecting the ticket. I run outside to the car and as I'm walking across the street to the car around the corner comes the bylaw guy. So I managed to get in the car and move it right before he came. So we're talking like five minutes later, I would have had another ticket. So that was a good thing I avoided today. And then I uh, did a South Park, you know, the rest of the day was getting ready for the podcast. And I did a South Park giveaway for the stick of truth. I told you guys that weeks ago, nobody has taken me up on that. Are any of my listeners owners of Xbox ones or Xbox three sixties or have little cousins or net, uh, maybe not too young cause it's South Park, but you know, have friends or family members or whatever that, that have Xboxes that may enjoy a free game. Well, it is now quarter after five. And as far as I know, checking my watch for notifications, I have received no, um, submissions for that prize. So still available guys, send an email contact at one man podcast.com and just say, Hey, I wouldn't mind that South park thing. I haven't played it. And it's free. You say has at least a $30 value. Yes. I want to give you guys free stuff. <laughs> Nobody wants it. I just want communication. So that's it. So that, that game is probably still going to be available. Wouldn't kill you to send in an email to say, Hey, I want it. Or you can go to the Facebook page. No, no, fuck it's, uh, I, I'll definitely yank it from that. Um, by now, by the time you guys listen to it on Wednesday. So let me know if you want it. contact at one man podcast.com. You get a free, uh, South park stick of truth game. Um, what else have I got going on? I want to ask you guys about that giveaway stuff too. You know what I mean? Is, is, is there anything that, you know, would, would make this more enticing for you guys to write in? Are there any particular types of giveaways? I've got all sorts of stuff that I've received from partners and stuff, swag and whatnot. The only problem is like, I think the, I originally said like, when I'm done with a book, I'll send it to you guys if you want. Um, but I sent a, a copy of, uh, the gunslinger from the dark tower, not a very large book at all. And I think it cost me like $15 to ship it 15 or 20 bucks to ship it. So I was like, all right, well, that's not worth it. You know what I mean? Like I basically want, you know, if I'm done with a book, I may as well let someone else read it. But at the same time, if it's going to cost me almost the full price of the book to send it, then I may as well just give you money to buy a book. And again, that's not the business I'm in, right? If I'm sending you money to buy a book, then that's not really doing anything with the one I have, right? So 
I'm, I'm trying to think of things that I can send you guys. Like the South Park thing is great because it's a digital download code. So I can send you, I can send you the code in an email, boom, free game. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to think if there's any kind of like giveaways or stuff like that, that'll be exciting for you guys to, to get you more involved, to get you writing in again. I don't need big, uh, big emails. I just want to know that you're out there and know how you're doing, you know, even to just get an email. It's cool to see who's listening too, right? By emailing in, I go, Oh, this, I didn't realize this person listened. Very cool. Here's your free game. Just shit like that, guys. It's all still things I'm figuring out being part of this whole radio podcasting kind of community. So as usual, let me know if there's anything that you would be more interested in. If there's any kind of giveaways that, that are reasonable. Again, I've got all sorts of free bigger things here that are very difficult for me to give away, which is why I'm always happy when someone locally wins. I never tailor it. I never tailor it for my local people to win. It's just very, very convenient when someone local wins because I can give them shit a lot easier than I can mailing it across the, the continent. So I would like to know if there's any, uh, you know, giveaways you guys would like. I, I saw something this week that I, I have to share with you in terms of conversation. Um, I don't have to, but I'm a fucking idiot. And I think it, I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I sometimes in my quest to, uh, achieve an orgasm, uh, one of the methods I found very uh, successful in order to do that is, uh, a old ancient, um, technique called masturbation, uh, available, both, both genders available. Even if you used to be one gender and you switched to the other, still available to you. Um, you know, you might have to adapt your technique, but, uh, but it's still available. Masturbation available to all the, uh, the all inviting masturbation. Um, so sometimes in my attempts, um, of using the masturbation, uh, form of orgasm achievement, I will, uh, I will, I will sometimes, uh, use another aid referred to as pornography. Um, you know, all of you people out there who are like, what? Oh, fuck yourselves. All right. You're by yourself in your own head. You don't have to act like shocked. I will occasionally watch pornography in an attempt to ejaculate. Bam. Um, recently I saw a video on a porn site. Um, I could have just started with that, with all that other stuff aside, but you know, uh, recently I saw a pornography video of a young couple it was amateur. And I think it was just the title of the video I thought was actually, it's funny just starting at the title was, it was called interracial. That's it. That's it. And it was in fact interracial. I believe the gentleman was, uh, the gentleman, the young man, cause he was definitely that. I think this guy could not have been more than 20 years old. There's not a chance. This young man and this young lady were, uh, very late teens, early twenties. And, um, I think he was like a East Indian or, or Pakistani gentleman. And the video starts off with, uh, you know, his, uh, his Caucasian, uh, curly blonde haired girlfriend, um, on top of him, cowgirl style, the camera is behind them, uh, slightly to the side so that you can see right from the get go in the video that she is riding him while he is texting on his phone. Can't say he's texting for sure, but he is certainly on his phone typing while, while having sex. Um, and he's got this stupid grin on his face while staring at his phone. And I was, I was immediately like, I can't think of a woman that I know that would put up with that shit. Um, I've had times where I was present and I was accused of not being into it. Um, and I was like, what, how do, how do you get in trouble? I'm fully apart. Anyways, um, I, I cannot imagine how pissed off 
your girlfriend would be if you were on your phone texting while having sex. Um, but here's this guy doing it wrong. Now he's clearly new at it, but sh- the woman he's with, uh, incredibly patient and, and probably knew it herself cause she doesn't seem to care. And then, uh, and then it goes on to, um, where, where he finally gets up off or sorry, she gets off of him and switches spots with her. She lays down and you see as she's lay, laying down, she starts kicking something out of her way with her foot and it is, uh, his PlayStation controller. Um, that was already on the bed. Couldn't even as a lady, I'm coming over, ladies coming over to have sex. Can't even be bothered to get my PlayStation controller off of the bed prior to the sex, um, which matches his bedding for some reason, red bedding, red PlayStation controller. Um, maybe he thinks it's sexy to, uh, accessorize and coordinate his, his gaming and bed accessories. But, um, yeah, so she's like kicking this PlayStation controller, but I'm, I'm laughing even more. At this point, I thought it was like, it's a very short video, but I thought it was just so funny how it's like starting off this is texting. And I'm like, wow, I would get in so much shit for that. And then they switch positions and he starts, uh, she starts kicking a controller out of the way. I'm laughing even more. He gets on top of her. So missionary position and just starts like hammering away his ass more, uh, smooth and hairless than hers was. Uh, which I found particularly funny. And he starts banging away like a, like a, like a jackrabbit, you know, clearly again, not really sure what he's doing. Just, just kind of trying to do it. Maybe how he's seen it in porn before. Very, very funny to me. Um, you know, and he's doing that for, uh, you know, maybe a minute. And then all of a sudden, uh, a black dog out of nowhere comes into frame and immediately starts sniffing around, uh, his ass and, you know, between their legs, what they're doing. Um, which again, found hysterical. And again, none of this seems to phase them. The controllers in the way, the texting, the dog showing up doesn't, doesn't face it. Neither one of them, you know, starts to swat, Hey, get out, get out of here. None of that stuff. Um, to the point where the dog is not receiving the response. It feels it deserves. And then walks around and jumps up on the bed and lays next to them. Like right, right next to them. Like, Hey, what are you guys doing? Um, to which they just continue. Nobody tells the dog to go away or, Oh, hold on one second. Let me, let me put the dog out of the room and we'll continue this pathetic attempt at sex. Um, it's super funny video. Obviously, like most of the things that I tell you guys about, um, well, not like most, unlike most of the things, I can't post this and go, hey guys, take a look at this video and see how fucking stupid it is. Um, but I did, uh, I did copy and paste the link into my notepad on, on Facebook. And guess what? Speaking of incentives to send me a fucking email, um, why don't you guys send me an email contact at one man And I would be happy to send you the link to this hysterical video. And if you were discussed at the beginning and still are, um, well, sorry, I thought it was funny. And I'm certainly, this is not me trying to find new ways to get you guys engaged. I just, when I saw the video, I thought it was so funny and I have to tell everybody I know. Um, and I've already mentioned it to a few people this week. I've already sent it to Kamar. I don't know if he watched it. Um, he did, did he, what did he send me? He sent me, when I sent it to him, he sent me a response that I didn't understand. I'm going to read it for you guys now. Kamar sent, come on, buddy. Where was it? Oh, he, he just said, uh, it is out there. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but yeah, I thought, I thought this girl he's with super angel because she is just putting up with all of this nerdy, geeky, uncoordinated I don't know, just goofiness. And then the fact that they would like, here's the thing too, is that they filmed it. So this didn't just happen. They filmed it and then shared it with the world. So I thought that was pretty funny. Anyways, I received, uh, also an email from my, uh, 
from my friend uh, Vanessa today. Like I said, I will be reading hers along with my with uh, two other emails. Um, Vanessa asked me if I, you know, she sent me a text like, "Hey, did you record yet?" And I go, "No." She's like, "I want to send an email." And then she told me she saw Annihilation, and she she thought it was great, or you know, or good. Sorry, I don't want to I don't want to misquote you. She said she said she thought it was good. Um, to which I started arguing with her, making point counterpoint, as did she. And um, I thought it was going to be in her email. I thought she was going to email me about what she really thought of the movie, but did not. So it was just a conversation that the two of us had together via text. Um, but I still, I will say this, still hated that movie, still think it's a piece of shit, Annihilation with Natalie Portman, whatever. I've talked about what it's like before, and I will not put you guys through that again. I will say this, and I believe I've said this before, but I really want to emphasize it. Because there's been a few movies I've seen in the last year that the stupid podcast has been going on that have really pissed me off. And this is something that a lot of, uh, maybe it was always around and it never really affected me, but this is something that I find uh, more and more apparent all the time now. Sorry, I'm, I'm popping my piece. I'm going to move the mic back a little bit. Um, I find it more and more frequent with movies now is that they'll put a trailer on TV and the trailer really makes the movie look like it's one thing. And then when you go see it, it's something, I don't want to say completely different, but really, really different from what it was. I'm going to, I'm going to spoil one movie, not one that's recent. I'm going to use it as an example. The movie Hancock. Okay, with Will Smith, Charlize Theron, and Jason Bateman. The movie Hancock in the trailer makes it look like it's this movie about some fuck up superhero. How he's just this guy who doesn't give a fuck and he's solving solving crimes and things in the most like apathetic, dickish way. And that's the whole trailer was presented like that. Then you go see the movie Hancock and you find all the scenes from the trailer are like the first three minutes of the movie. And now all of a sudden he's this guy who runs into this family, the family that that Jason Bateman's character tries to make him a better superhero. And none of the, none of that really goes on because he starts becoming involved with this family and, and Charlize Theron's character. And why is she so fascinating? And turns out that she's a superhero too. And the two of them had a life together before and they're not supposed to be together. And why is she back in his life? And he's like, why do I love you? And all these things going on. And none of it really goes back to him being this failed superhero or trying to be a better guy. It just kind of goes around this love thing of, of, of Hancock's character and Charlie Stern. So what I, what I really found that I didn't like about that movie is that the, the movie was sold to us in the, the trailer, like, Hey, go see a movie about a fuck up superhero. And it didn't really end up being about that. That was a little hook that they got to get you to go see it. And then the movie was about something different, about a love affair of two superheroes that get amnesia so that they don't fall in love because they can't be together. Some bullshit like that. <clears throat> I've even watched it twice and I can't fucking remember it. But the fact of the matter is that's an example of, of what you're sold versus what you get. And I think that's one of the biggest issues I had with Annihilation. Um, I'll give you another example, maybe not as harsh as Annihilation or Hancock, but um, that, that movie I hated there that, that uh, it comes at night or whatever, that movie, they sold it to you. Like there's zombies and shit out in the darkness. Cause it's even called it comes at night. And there was nothing in particular that happened at night that didn't happen during the day. In fact, more things were happening during the day than at night. So even the title was misleading to steal your money as far as I'm concerned. But um, it comes at night trailer looked like um, 
you know, Hey, there's these things that come at night and there's the guy has like three dreams where he wakes up cause he sees a face that, you know, looks all fucking sick or whatever. And their dreams in the, in the trailer, they put them all together to make it look like these were things that were attacking out of the darkness at night. Watch out for the red door. The red door's never opened. I have the only key except people open the door all the time who don't have the key. Like just shit like that. That doesn't make sense. Drives me fucking crazy in movies. Um, what I'm getting at is one of the movies that I found an example of this was, um, the movie inception inception was a movie about going into dreams and, and, you know, and can you go into someone's dream and, and change a thought or whatever and things like that, which I, which I found is an insanely good concept. And unfortunately, unlike some of Christopher Nolan's other movies, like the prestige and stuff was, I thought that the concept of being able to go into someone's dream and forget trying to change an idea or something, just the idea of being able to go into dreams and then the world can change because it's dreams. Um, I thought was great. And I found it very fascinating that these machines that people use to go into people's dreams. They never talked about the genesis of when this technology started happening, why it was invented, anything like that. Tons of really good opportunity for story. All they did was basically just make the matrix again. Hey, let's run around and, and jump off walls because the person's dreaming. So because their dream is, is, is they're falling. Now their world's gravity is changing because of that stupid concept in my opinion, but they just took uh, a really, really fascinating concept and just made an action movie where they're racing cars and, and fighting in hallways and shooting on, on Alpine slopes. So as much as the, the inception movie was a fun movie to watch, I really found it to be, um, you know, it, it was a wasted premise. If you wanted to do the matrix again, just do a movie where, you know, I had a fuck, I don't know. I, it was, it was stupid. Anywho, um, what I'm getting at with all of this is that I, you can tell a story that's good. I don't care if you tell a story that's good, but if you sold me something else, I'm going to be disappointed that you didn't sell me what you can, I can go to a restaurant and order steak. And if you bring lobster, it was like, Oh, it was good. It was really good lobster. Just, I don't, it's not what I ordered. That's not what I thought I was getting when, when you showed me a picture of this and said, do you want this? And then you bring me something different. Go, well, what, what, what did you not like it? Was it not good? Yeah. It's not what I was there for. It's not what I thought I was ordering. You know, um, you showed me a picture of this and said, that's, that's this. And I, I said, I'll take it. And then you show me something different, you know? Oh no, no. It was the plate. The plate was what you were ordering. We bring you whatever we want on top of it. We fooled you. So I've said before, if I go see a horror movie and the story isn't great, but it's, but it was scary. I, that's good. I went to see a horror movie. I was buying, I buy into the genre more than anything else. So because Annihilation was supposed to be like a, you know, a science fiction-y sort of movie, um, sci-fi, I feel like you're going in for the story, just like a drama, right? That's the whole idea. Um, so if you go into it, you know, and it's not like if you go see an action movie and it has a stupid story, but there's great action, well, then guess what? You got, you got what you wanted. You wanted the action. I'll give you a great example of a movie that has both is True Lies, which is James Cameron, of course. Um who just does always great movies, right? Avatar, everything like that is, is that was a movie that was a great story. It had great action. So it wasn't like you're just, you know, you're sort of just putting up with what happens next. He swallowed the key. Then we got to go get it back from him, you know, jet in there all of a sudden there. Like just, it, it was actually a great movie because it was a, it was a plausible story, plausible, not super believable, plausible, a spy who doesn't want to get his family and shit. So they don't, even for their own protection, they don't know that he's a spy. 
right? Who very slowly starts feeling the distance from his family because he's being secretive and learns that his wife is being secretive. Ooh, ooh, the irony, the hypocrisy, right? Had Bill Paxton in it, fucking hysterical character. One of, one of my favorite characters, Tom Arnold in my favorite role he's ever been in, the perfect comic relief for a movie. So Tom Arnold was in it too, as you know, the, 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 the guy in the van, right? The, the funny guy, holy fuck, was it ever a great movie? And it made sense. There was, there was great chemistry between him and Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, that scene. I'm telling you guys, the scene of true lies where Jamie Lee Curtis is dancing in that hotel. Holy blood in my penis. Oh, I have a very hard time getting through that scene. Uh, you know, and not wanting to use that old ancient technique. You know, that one I was talking about there, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Anyways. Um, so Yeah. If I go see a comedy and it's funny, I don't care if the, the movie doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? The plot doesn't make sense. So there's a whole, this didn't, it's, it's a comedy, you know, whatever. The point is, but if you're, if you're a sci-fi movie or if you're a drama and your story doesn't make sense, or if you for fucking, for the love of God are, are, are not even the same story you were advertising, it's something completely different. And you use your two, three scary scenes to fool people into thinking, oh, it's a horror. We got to go see it because it's a horror. And then it's not shame. Shame on you. Anyways, so that's what Annihilation was. Annihilation is a dirty fucking lie filled with bullshit. And uh, and it's stupid. It's stupid. It doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's dumb. And Red, I'll fight you any fucking time on this subject. <laughs> um, so that's it, guys. That was my week, hey? What a lot of shit. I've, I've, I talked about so, so much. Uh, my five things. I'm at an hour and a half, and I haven't even got to the fucking sponsors yet. And I got three emails to read. Holy shit, this is going to be a long one, you guys. Um... My five things have been going okay. I was sick. And uh, so I got to be honest with you. I was not uh, doing my breathing. I was still doing my, my brushing, but I was missing. I remember the election day I came home at late in bed and passed right the fuck out. Um, so I haven't been, uh, I, I know I missed a couple of my uh, my brushes there and back, back on track. Um, my reading certainly could not. Um, my headache was so bad. I wasn't able to lay down and read. And of course, it's one of those things where um, getting a few days off the habit is easier to just sort of forget. So, um, I'm, I'm, uh, definitely, like I said, over the hump of sick and just in the final stages of clearing out. So I'm forcing myself today to get everything on my list done. Um, I did. Yeah, I've actually, I'm actually doing pretty good. I haven't done my breathing yet. Um, I'm trying to remember what the other ones are, even though I've got them everywhere. That's right here in front of me. Hey, my June list. Use the breathing app twice a day, record your notes, post on each social media platform. I did do that with the, the South Park giveaway. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm actually, I'm actually doing quite, uh, quite well today for it. Just got a brush this evening. Um, I, I read some of my books today, so yeah, no, you know what? I'm doing okay. I'm going to pat myself on the back. The five things are going okay. There was a hiccup while I was, was not feeling well, but, uh, but we're going to, we're going to get back up. We're not going to quit just because we fucked up. I'm not going to give myself permission to, uh, to fuck around. So there we go. There's an update on that stuff, guys. And with, uh, without further ado, I am going to move right on to our partners at portablepress.com. Uncle John's Bathroom Readers, guys, this week I've picked an article from Uncle John's Canoramic Bathroom Reader, from which I have not yet read. Yet read. Uh, I read a few articles earlier today, and I found one that I kind of liked. Um, it's only a one-pager, and it's called Borrowed Words. English is a mashup of words from other languages and cultures around the world, added through colonization, immigration, and importation. Some gave us hundreds of words, others only a few. The word wicker 
Bendable branches or twigs, usually willow, used to make furniture, comes from two Swedish words, viker, which means willow, and vika, to bend. Trek. T-R-E-A-K. Sorry, T-R-E-K. So just I figure some of them I may as well read out just in case they don't sound proper coming from me. So trek is from Afrikaans, the form of Dutch spoken by white settlers in South Africa. It means travel. Of course, we all kind of knew that a trek means to travel, but we didn't know where it's from. It's from Afrikaans. Dollar comes from Tolar, the Czech name for a coin made in Bohemia, now part of the Czech Republic, in the 16th century. Uh, cheetah, the cat, is derived from the ancient Indian language of Sanskrit word chitras. It means uniquely marked. Cooties, girls have cuties, comes uh, to English from kutu, a word in the Malay language spoken in Malaysia and Indonesia, meaning lice. Another Malay word imported into English, bamboo, from their word bambu. So B-A-M-B-U was their word, bambu. Corgi, the name of the short-legged dog breed, is a fitting... Uh, Sorry, I have to read this one. It's a long one. Portmanteau of two Welsh words. You might have to tell me what portmanteau means. Uh, two Welsh words. Cor, meaning dwarf, and gi, meaning dog. So how about that? It's Welsh. Corgi means dwarf dog. Uh, coach, as in the stagecoach. Uh, or sorry, as in the horse-drawn carriage, comes from koksi, K-O-C-S-I, the Hungarian word for the vehicle. It's named after Cox, the city in which it was invented. K-O-C-S, by the way. Kiwi, the bird, not the fruit, comes directly from Maori, a language of the native people of New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand. New Zealand. Fuck's sakes. That'd be a funny one. Uh, horde, H-O-R-D-E, is from the Polish horda, indicating a large nomadic tribe. Sauna, this one seems pointless. Sauna, a small room used for hot air or steam baths, is from the Finnish word sauna, spelled exactly the same thing. And it means the same thing in brackets. Tycoon is an anglicized spelling of the Japanese word taiken or high commander. Veranda, a fancy word for deck or patio, derives from the Portuguese word veranda, spelled with an A at the beginning instead of an E, which describes a deck or patio. So there you go. So basically just veranda is the Portuguese word for the same. Drag, meaning to wear clothes more associated with the opposite sex, is a shortened form of the Romani word indraka, which means dress. So how about that? In the running feet at the bottom of this one, guys, Ronald Reagan was born six years before John F. Kennedy. And that, my friends, as always, is Uncle John's Bathroom Reader from my friends at PortablePress.com. They got all sorts of different books about all sorts of different things. Uh, as Canada Day quickly approaches here, I know that I'll be moving back to the uh, Uncle John's Plunges into Canada and Weird Canada books. Um, they're often usually available at Costco and things like that leading up to the date. So keep your eyes peeled for that, guys, if you want some fun Canadiana. But depending on whatever you're into, they got all sorts of stuff, guys. They got fucking uh, shoots and scores, which is all about hockey. They got ones about uh, space and television and facts and science and, and history. You know, all sorts of fun stuff for you to get out there and learn. There's ones that are all about, you know, beer. The Beertopia book is all about robotica is all about robots all over the world. Write questions and survival things like do geese get goosebumps and how to toilet train your cat, how to fight a bear and win. So many great books on portablepress.com. So check them out for yourself and keep your eyes peeled when they come brand new on sale at Costco because the new annual edition is always available there and always available at a reduced price. Mm -hmm. I will get through this goddamn whiskey coffee. I swear to God. Uh, my ex-partner, guys, Absolute Comedy. Check out absolutecomedy.ca.
Absolute Comedy is the best live stand-up comedy from across North America with locations in Kingston, Toronto, and Ottawa, Ontario. These comedians have been featured on Just for Laughs, Netflix, Comedy Central, CBC's The Debaters, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Conan, The Comedy Network, and much, much more. Go to absolutecomedy.ca to see this week's lineup. Planning a night out is easy with dinner and show packages available at all locations. Live comedy is a great choice if you're organizing a celebration, fundraiser, company outing, or corporate event. Want the show brought to you? They'll send comedians to your venue with performances tailored to your event, creating a night of laughs your guests will love and won't soon forget. So for showtimes, ticket prices, gift certificates, special shows, and more, head to absolutecomedy.ca. Again, that's absolutecomedy.ca for the best live stand-up comedy from across North America. And a little piece of trivia for you guys. Uh, trivia? Not really. A little added bonus is uh, in July, Absolute Comedy will be having their Prove Your Comic competition. I believe submissions for that this year are already closed. But that's where new comics are going to come out and strut their stuff and hope to, uh, you know, get an opportunity to work all three Absolute Comedy clubs. They're going to have to do night after night of performing. Um, and that's that's throughout the course of, you know, the first, first night and... <sighs> Night after night. Well, it's going to be on, you know, of course, after the first night. Yeah, that's what night after night means, you fucking idiot. Anyways, point is is just a very quick um, description is that in the Absolute Comedy Prove Your Competition or Prove Your Comic Competition, we have Molly at Keurig. Oh, look at, you know, every day I feel like a new place gets my email address, even though I don't give it out anywhere. You know, there's a new place all of a sudden. Hey, Keurig, by the way, here's what fucking god knows what oh you you fan of winners no and i never gave you my email why are you emailing me winners um so uh, the the prove your comic competition thanks thanks brain appreciate you putting that bookmark in there um you got young comics trying to strut their stuff in front of judges they'll be competing with each other on a night five move forward they compete another couple of nights the best one moves forward to the finals that happens four weeks in a row it's amazing. You get four finalists and then a wild card, basically someone who really stood out, but somehow some way didn't end up moving on to the finals. Those five will perform for, uh, six consecutive nights. And I think it's a total of eight shows night after night after night, which is when you're new to comedy, hard to get on stage that much. And that often an opportunity to work that muscle night in, night out. And on Friday and Saturday, they do an early show and they do a late show, which means that if you have a bad set, you actually have the opportunity to very quickly, you know, a couple hours later, turn around and try it again, make a change, see if you can get it there. They all change orders. Who goes? It's a fucking great, great opportunity for, for new young comics to, to do this. And, um, and yours truly will be hosting the preliminary nights. Um, so every single Monday in July, uh, I think the ninth, sorry, the second through the, uh, 20 something fifth, 23rd or something like that. Um, I will be hosting, uh, these preliminary nights, the Mondays. So when, when nine get whittled down to five, so that is, uh, something if you're in the Ottawa area, come check it out. They do the same competition in Toronto. I believe it's just on Tuesday nights, starting Tuesday nights throughout the month of July. So check out, uh, prove your comic competition. You can follow along at absolutecomedy.ca or, or check out the Facebook page where it's updated nightly. So if you have a friend who's, who's doing it, or you're just interested to see sort of, you know, maybe a face you may have recognized, uh, my, my good friend, uh, Kamar and listener of the podcast, uh, came in a very close second last year in the competition. Uh, he's actually come in you know, very close several times, but he won the, uh, there's a competition he won this year. I can't fucking remember which one it is. Kamar, tell me I've forgotten. I apologize. He won, uh, he did the cracking up the fucking capital. That's what he fucking won. And that was a good one to fucking win. Um, 
sorry, pal. I apologize for the, uh, the, the little delayed response there. There's so many of these competitions and you're so good, buddy. The truth is, you know, you, you, you were doing so good in all of them. I couldn't remember which ones you, you won and which ones you just almost won, you know, which is a good way. The guy's never, he's never down the list. He's always, you know, hovering right near the top, sometimes, uh, crossing the, breaking the tape himself, you know? So that's another thing going on at absolute comedy. Yours truly will be hosting that and something else available at absolute comedy. You want to come check out a show. You'll have an opportunity to sample the delicious beverage Summersby. The sun gives life to the orchard. The orchard gives life to the apple. The apple gives life to Summersby. Summersby is a delicious sweet taste of sunshine imported across the ocean all the way from Denmark. The people in Denmark are smarter, and so are you, if you drink Summersby. <laughs> With flavors like apple, blackberry, pear, elderflower lime, red rhubarb, and a taste as regal as this fake accent, there's something for everyone to enjoy. And now you can try them all in the Summersby Mixer Pack, available wherever fine beverages are sold. So go on and try for yourself the crisp, refreshing taste of Summersby. Ah, your taste buds deserve it. Please drink resplendently. And we're back. And who did I forget? Who did I forget? I know there's, I always remember my partners at DK, Dorling Kindersley. Oh man, I love these guys. And this week, guys, I got two books that I'm reviewing, but they pretty much, oh, did I? Oh, I like that. I like that I can hear the, the pages ripple, isn't it? It sounds forceful. You feel that breeze? The gale of pages. That's because it's a big ass fucking book. All their books are nice big books. You know, you don't feel like you walked out of there wasting your goddamn money. All right. Their books are big, beautiful, filled with pretty pictures. Um, th this week I'm reviewing two books. I'm re reviewing, 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 great whiskeys, 500 of the best from around the world and world whiskey, a nation by nation guide to the best guys. I got both these books from my fucking awesome partners at DK. And, uh, I'm going to start by saying that they're both very, um, very similar and that, that in and of itself, I don't mean for that to sound bad. Um, it's not a bad thing. Great whiskeys is a small, I want to I say pocket size, but it's a little bit too big for your pocket. It's about six inches by five inches. Oh, you know what? I got a measuring tape sitting right here. <laughs> Why don't we be accurate? Let's go for accuracy, Josh. Its height is a whopping six and a half inches. Its width is a whopping five and a half inches. So it's not a huge book, but it's a little bit too big for, uh, for your pocket. But what Great Whiskeys is, 500 of the best from around the world, is a nice... This, I gotta say, if you have a shelf with your scotches and everything on it and your different whiskeys, this is a great little thing to go on it. It's a nice little, I mean, 500 different whiskeys is going to set you back a pretty penny. So I wouldn't say pick them all up, but if you're somebody who's interested in trying the different types, because, um, where was I reading this earlier today? Um, I'm trying to remember which one of the books it was that I read this in. Um, I want to read you guys, I guess the forward from this. And the point is, is that scotch is a very, um, very interesting drink. I was having conversations with people because someone was like, oh, I tried scotch and I don't like it. This is when I was doing the Cardu tasting. And Cardu, 12 years old, which I have to say is also in this book. I've already read the, uh, the uh, well, I'll read it to you guys just for fun, just for fucking fun. Because each page basically has a picture of the bottle and it lets you know some details about the, uh, the beverage itself. So here's Cardu, okay? So on the Cardu page, it just says, from Scotland, uh, 
Nokando Arbalor and Morishar, um, just saying from www.mots.com. Cardew Distillery was a small farm distillery until Elizabeth Cumming rebuilt it in the 1880s. Soon after, it was sold to Johnny Walker, which is why I was doing it with the Johnny Walker tasting, they're the only company, and became the spiritual home of the blend. In the 1990s, increased, oh, spiritual home, the Johnny Walker blend. So, so Cardew uh, distillery became the spiritual, um, home of the blend in the 1990s, increased demand in Spain for Cardu, the 12 year old led owns, uh, led owners Diageo to rechristen the whiskey as Cardu pure malt so they could add other malts and so increase production. But outrage within the industry forced Diageo to uh, withdraw the brand and revert to selling Cardu as a genuine single malt. So instead of blending different whiskeys, uh, you know, and malts and things like that, it is a single malt from Speyside Scotch. Um, Scotland, I should say, Speyside. So just as a small example, it says the Cardu, it says the 12-year-old, a Hirthy, a Hithery, Hithery. Oh, for Christ's sakes, Josh, a Heathery, that's <laughs> a Heathery, a flavor. A heathery pear drop scented malt, light to medium body, malty, slightly nutty flavor that finishes fairly short. And I do, uh, do have to say that it does taste mm, quite nice like that. Um, mine tastes like it was dumped in a cup of McDonald's coffee, but, uh, <laughs> it's quite good. Anyways, um. This is a great book that has all sorts of different explanations. Not only gives you some details about the scotch itself and, uh, you know, where it's from just small, like it's a small little great, uh, compendium one. It also has, um, little single page stops along the way that will tell you about different parts of, of Scotland and, and the U S and Japan, different places where you can go on tasting tours and gives you some information about that. So like if you wanted to try different distilleries where you would go on day one, you know, you'd go here, then here, and then day two, you go here, here, there's maps on it, showing you all sorts of different stuff. I get pictures. DK never spares an expense on being able to bring you the best information and the best detail. But from the 500 scotches, I want to read you guys the introduction. Just to give you an idea, because most of the book is just, is just different types of scotches. It's a great little, it's almost like a little bucket list for people who are scotch tasters. It's something to be able to go through here and you don't have to buy a bottle, but if you go somewhere where they have different scotches, it never hurts to have this so that you can maybe take it out, go through it and, and see, maybe reference what, what your, you know, your, your local bar. Cause again, a lot of the local bars aren't going to have the great stuff. You know, Glenfiddich is usually the one that you'll see here, at least, you know, in Ontario or Canada, but, and, and Glenfiddich is of course in this, but it gives you, um, it gives you something that if you go to some of the places, like where I go to the, the cigar bar, they've got a bunch of different scotches there. I would definitely reference something that I haven't tried sticking here. And then you can put a little note. There is room around the image of the bottle where you could put your own little notes. You know, it's not designed for that. Okay. Just before it sounds like a, you know, it's like a journal or something. It's not, but there's a spot where you could write a little note yourself and see what you thought of it or put a little cross on it just to have your own little check mark for having tried it and see what you think of it. So for, I got to say for anyone who is a scotch aficionado, it's not an expensive book. It's small, but it's got 500 of the world's best scotches in it. And it is a great compendium for anyone who considers themselves a, a connoisseur or someone who's actively interested in learning more. So I want to read you guys the introduction from this book. Um, I won't do it for the second one. Um, but, uh, it says here, there's an old saying in Scotland, there's no bad whiskey, just good whiskey and better whiskey. The whiskeys featured in this book come from all over the world. As you will see, great whiskey is now being made in South Asia, Australia, and Europe, not just the established whiskey countries of Scotland, Ireland, the U S Canada, and Japan. 
Whiskey is recognized as the most complex spirit on the planet. It is made from the simplest and most natural of ingredients, cereal grains, water, and yeast. Yet the craft and tradition that goes into its making elevate it to the rank of noble spirit. Presenting a huge spectrum of aromas and tastes like people, sorry, uh, sorry, presenting a huge spectrum of aromas and tastes like people. Every whiskey is different. Each has its own personality. Some are big, bold, and rowdy. Others delicate, elegant, and shy. So you may not, uh, so you may not take to it immediately. Um, what? So you may not take to immediately. Oh, some, not so you for Christ's sakes. Some, some you may not take to immediately may later become good friends. Oh, that's, it needs a comma. That's why I wasn't fucking up guys. I'm so sorry. When I read out loud, I'm, I'm awful at it sometimes some, you may not take to immediately may later become good friends. My selection has been guided by six of the world's leading whiskey writers, Dave Broom, Tom Bruce, uh, Gardine, Ian Buxton, Peter Mulryan, Hans Ofringa, and Gavin D. Smith. And I am deeply grateful to them for writing up the individual entries. How you choose to enjoy whiskey with or without water or ice with soda or lemonade with ginger ale or cola is a matter of personal preference. In China, they like it with iced tea in Brazil with coconut water. However, flavor is not just about taste. It also embraces smell. Indeed, to truly appreciate the nuances of flavor in whiskey, particularly malt whiskey, you should add nothing but a dash of water and present the drink in a glass that allows you to consider its aroma to the fullest. Secreted within this listing of world whiskeys are tours that will guide you to whiskey regions of Scotland, Ireland, the US and Japan. Oh, I'm getting a, getting another call here. Bear with me one second. Uh, no experience adds more to the enjoyment of whiskey than visiting a working distillery to savor the aromas, appreciate the skill, dedication and time that goes into making this profound spirit. And of course, to sample a dram rate at its source. Maybe you are just setting out on your journey of discovery. Perhaps you're well down the road of to becoming a connoisseur. Either way, I hope this book will be a useful guide and will introduce you to some interesting flavors. Explore and enjoy. So that's world, uh, sorry, great whiskeys, 500 of the best from around the world. Uh, just they're, they're right up for that. And it's, it's really, I mean, like I said, it's a nice little companion, companion, compendium companion to have if you're into scotches and stuff like that. And then of course the other book world whiskey, a nation by nation guide to the best is, uh, it's sorry. I got the hiccups all of a sudden. Um, I don't know if anyone's like, well, it's just, it's just like a weird transition, weird energy difference. Uh, I had to, I got a, the, took the phone call, resolved that. Sorry. It was one of importance. Um, this guy here, uh, world whiskey is kind of like the same other one. This one's got 650. So there's more whiskeys in it. It has more information on the tours. So it's a hardcover, larger version of the other one. It's not the same manual. It's got some write-ups and things like that. So the idea is I have both of them. It goes deeper into depths of, of certain whiskeys, the tasting. Um, it gives more information about, uh, maturation and, uh, peatiness. So this book talks more about whiskeys, um, the process of them as well as referencing 650 different other whiskeys that are available. So, um, not to not give this one, it's, it's due. Um, but it's so funny too, cause there was a section on this one about like Canadian whiskeys. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to read that. And I read it very quickly. Um, just right before the thing, cause I jumped to it. I was about halfway through the book. Cause after a while, when it's a reference book that has also different things, so you don't just sit there and read page after page after page and expect to, uh, you know, remember, but it's got different Irish whiskeys, Canadian ones. So I want to find the Canadian page to this one because I, I was reading, I was like, oh, that sucks. Just <laughs> right away. So where was Canada whiskeys, uh, key nations, 
Uh, where is it? So Canada 266. So I was reading about the Canadian one. Let me get there. I'll read it to you guys what it says. It's just a small little one. I, I love both these books, by the way. Like I said, um, a lot of the images that they've used for the bottles are the same. But uh, here we go with Canada. So it said right in it there, the golden age of Canadian whiskey was from late 19th to mid 20th centuries with whiskey makers such as Hiram Walker, creators of Canadian Club and Sam Bronfman at uh, Seagram forming vast commercial empires. These two dominated much of the world market. From this high point, however, Canadian whiskey experienced a marked decline in the second half of the 20th century, and it now operates on a far more modest scale, where once 200 distilleries produced rivers of whiskey to serve a seemingly insatiable American market, now Canada has fewer than a dozen distilleries, most of which are owned by U.S. bourbon companies or international spirits producers. I was like, ah, you, come on, every good Canadian business ends up getting bought up by the u.s so there we go most of our stuff there it's a seagram's uh, a name so closely associated with canada is still the brand name for a handful of whiskeys but the seagram empire itself is gone it remains to be seen if the remaining producers can take their nation's whiskey industry back to being a major player on the world stage well fuck i hope we can um and what do we have here this is whiskey styles, Canadian whiskey. All Canadian whiskey is blended apart from Glen Breton, a single malt. Yeah, so all Canadian whiskey is blended apart from Glen Breton, a single malt. Uh, production, and of course, as usual, DK will tell you what page to see exactly that one Glen Breton on. Production is in column stills, but each distillery produces a range of styles, and each blend will use between 15 and 50 different whiskeys. As in Scotland, the spirit must be matured for at least three years. Although much is aged six to eight, uh, the base spirit is light and relatively neutral in character distilled from rye, barley, wheat, or corn. Unlike in the U S there is no constraint upon the mash bill, a proportion of rye or malted rye spirit, which adds spice to the blend and body is added to the mix. And this provides Canadian whiskey with its chief characteristics. It is often described as rye whiskey, but Canadian whiskey is of a different style than American rye whiskey. So there we go, guys, a little bit of Canadian stuff. So, um, I mean, I've been chatting with him about it for a little bit now. And of course you guys know that I'm, I'm more and more interested in whiskey. My, my friend and listener, Mark, uh, had me over to his place. We were trying some different ones. I, uh, I'm really enjoying you know, conversations in LCBOs with other whiskey drinkers, learning more and more about it. Of course, guys, uh, you know, Jack Daniels is a sour mash whiskey. Um, you know, so just, just flipping past the page. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't like that. I like, I like, you know, bourbon or whatever. It's like, that's all whiskey. Scotch is whiskey. Bourbon is whiskey. Rye is whiskey. These are all kinds of whiskeys. Um, I don't know where the thing was that I was reading earlier today that basically said that, that whiskey is the most complex, not complex, but it's the, the most, um, like diverse and everything like that type of spirit. Cause there's so many different tastes involved in whiskey than there is with rums or vodkas. You know, there are different tasting ones, but there's nothing as vast as the whiskey. And so there you go, guys, great whiskeys, 500 of the, uh, best from around the world. That's the small one. If you're looking for just a little, you know, tasters tour guide book of that, that one's great. And it's nothing wrong with it. It's great. It's just a small scale, but if you really want to know your whiskeys, you know, uh, world whiskey and nation by nation guide to the best is an outstanding book. They're both fantastic. Thank you so much as always to my partners at DK coming up this week, guys. Uh, <coughs> I'm actually supposed to be going to the loft this evening with, uh, with some people to play some board games. It's basically like a board game bar. I've never been there. It's been suggested to me many, many times. So I'm going to be going there this evening, but it's getting kind of late. Um, I expect to be done this way earlier than now. I got a bit of 40 minute intermission there with that phone call. Um, 
so yeah, I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be just Ubering for the rest of the, the week during the days and trying to fill the rest of the days with something productive for my health and mental uh, <laughs> condition, I guess, to just make everything good, start writing, exercise, and all that fun stuff. On Friday, I, uh, I'm going to go see Michaela's play. I'm very excited. She's got a school play in the morning that I'm, uh, I'm going to see, and then she's going to come over for a sleepover in the evening, so I get to see the kiddo. Super excited. Saturday, I got a heckle hole. And in case uh, you're wondering what that is, I think I may have already brought it up as a heckle hole is when I do a golf tournament and there is uh, one of the themes uh, of a hole, one of the 18 holes is uh, we heckle the golfer. So myself and fellow comedian Brandon McKeegan are going to be doing that on Saturday. Excuse me, really looking forward to that. And then uh, I'm going to go to my brother's place and play some games. And that's really the only things I have on my calendar at all this week. It always fills up. So I'm sure there's going to be more shit going on. But as it stands right now, those are the things that I've got scheduled. And now, as always, time for your guys' emails. Guys, uh, obviously, contact at onemanpodcast.com is the email address. You guys want to send anything in at all, uh, please feel free to do that. And this week is a perfect highlight of exactly that. Uh, first emailer in this week is my buddy, Chris, frequent emailer of the podcast. And Chris says, Hey Josh, I'm glad to hear that things have been going well with your product demos, Ubering and whatever other types of whoring you've been up to. Why don't you let me help you spend your hard earned money? That's right. Here comes another board game review. Small world by Philip K Ertz is a two to five player area control game that has been unjust unjustly compared to risk. I say unjustly like risk because risk is a bad game or like risk is a bad game. I say unjustly like risk is a bad game. Okay. I see. I see. Risk is not a bad game is what you're saying. I've never played risk to be honest with you. It is not, but risks downfalls are that are what have turned some people uh, of the game. I people I game with off of small world. So before I begin this review, I'll detail the similarities of the two games. Like Risk, Small World is an area control game. You spend your turn taking over territories in an attempt to gain the most points in the end. That's it. That's where the similarities end. Small World has no weekend-long campaign, no 20-minute-long turns, no player elimination. What it does have is a world <laughs> just a little too small for everyone to politely populate, full of cute little creatures who want to kill each other. To play, you must first select the board needed to support your player count. There are two double-sided boards that allow plays with two, three, four, and five players. This game scales very well. The sweet pot, sorry, sweet spot, however, is two to four players. At the beginning, each player is given a certain amount of money. Then the first player chooses a race ability combinations from a set of six previously laid out possibilities. What the fuck does that mean? I'll tell you. There are several races of creatures that will, sorry, that you will end up controlling throughout the game. Part of the reason that this, these emails are so hard for me to read right now is because I had to like, I'll put it this way. I normally have like two pages of emails. I had eight pages of emails and I was trying to cut down on printing. So I made the font size like eight. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So there are several races of creatures that you will end up controlling throughout the game. In the example picture I supplied, there are trolls, Amazons, humans, elves, ratmen, and dwarves. May as well say this now. These pictures have been posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you're following us on those guys, you'll be able to see the pictures and things that Chris is referring to as I read along with this email. Besides them, you are randomly... Uh, besides them are randomly placed abilities. Spirit, catapult, forest, mounted, uh, bivalent. Bivouacking, camping, you have in parentheses, which is what bivouacking is what you're saying is it's camping and stout. There are many more of both races and abilities, but I'll leave what they are and what they mean for you to figure out. The first combo farthest from the stacks is free. 
If you do not want this set, then you must spend one coin, placing it on the passed up pair, and then take the second one. You can keep doing this until you've reached the sixth and final choice, which you must take. This process makes less desirable pairings more desirable as coins continue to gather on them. Coins are what determine the winner in the end. Once you've chosen your combo, check the numbers on both tiles. Add them up and take that many chits. That's the word used to describe any little counters, resources, and doodads and games to form your army. Uh, you must always enter the board from its edge. To conquer a region, you will need to place two military pieces in the area. From there, you may conquer any region joining it for the same cost. Unless the region is occupied by another piece of cardboard, uh, parentheses, to put it in its simplest terms. What I mean is a vacant region takes two military, but every extra piece of an, on a region will require one extra military. In the picture I supplied, you'll notice that the first region conquered took two humans. The second one, which was occupied by two elves, took four, two for the region and two to match the elves. And the third, which contained a mountain, took three, two for the region and one extra for the mountain shit. You continue like this until you no longer have enough military to continue or to conquer a region. At this point, you may choose one final territory to try and take over and roll a reinforcement die, which has a one, two, and three, and three blank faces. You add the results to your remaining dudes and then determine if you've won the territory. Either way, your turn is over. Collect one coin per region you occupy. Add any bonuses. For example, our forest humans get a one bonus coin uh, for each forest and farmland they occupy. Then it's on to the next player. Uh, on your turn, you will take back into hand all your miles. So this might sound regular for other people. Again, I haven't played Risk, so maybe it sounds normal. I don't even know how to play Risk, so I'm like learning every single aspect by by new. Um, on your next turn, you will take back into your hand all your military, leaving behind one per region, and then continue your conquest. After a few rounds, you'll notice that your un sorry that your usable army is getting smaller and smaller as you leave soldiers behind to occupy your lands. At the beginning of a turn, you will need to decide if you wish to proceed or to abandon this race and send them into decline. Decline is when you return all your current army to the box except for one in each region that you currently occupy. Flip them over. To their gray side, this indicates decline. Collect coins equal to the territories they occupy and pass your turn on to the next player. On your following turn, you'll be able to pick a fresh race ability combination and continue to fuck shit up. You are allowed one active race and one declined race. Once you send your current race into decline, you must first so you must first remove all of your previous remaining decline tokens to the box. After a certain amount of turns determined by your player count, it's the numbered crowns on the right side of the board in the picture of the boards, the game will be over. Most money wins. Cat boom. A big perk of small world world? <laughs> small word? That's what I got on my page here, small, small words. A big perk of small world is that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Eight to ten turns, and turns go pretty quickly, and it's over. And no player elimination. Stay cool, my friend. Thanks, Chris, for the email. I appreciate that. Uh, my friend Vanessa writes, Hey there, Josh. Happy E3 conference to you. Hey, Vanessa, a.k.a. Red. Uh, happy E3 conference to you. For those of you that don't know, the big gaming conference is going on right now in L.A., and all the exciting new games are being announced by the various major companies. The Nintendo conference is just finishing as I'm writing this. Did you watch it, Josh? No, I was on the phone earlier and saw that it was live. I was like, I went onto YouTube or something, and it said, like, live, and I was like, oh, I don't think it's live. I think... I, I didn't realize that they actually do live videos on YouTube now. I thought that it was something that was like, it was recorded live, you know, it wasn't. So anyways, I, I skipped right over it. I don't really care about Nintendo either, to be honest with you. I feel like they're really falling behind and they're now, they've now decided that they're not a big one and they're just going to like cater to kids and they've got like their five main characters or whatever. <coughs> I do like E3 though. Anybody who's into video games, you can like Google, 
not Google, but you can go on YouTube and you can type in like, um, E3. The reason it's called E3 is it stands for electronic entertainment expo. Um, those are the three E's. So E3, uh, you can Google like Microsoft E3 or Xbox E3 or PlayStation E3. And it shows you like the entire, like usually two to three hour press conference where they show you the biggest titles coming and they get you all jazzed up for the last, like what, three or four E3s. They've been showing footage of the HoloLens for Microsoft Xbox. So you know, Xbox's VR helmet and they keep saying like, Hey, this is what we're going to have for this. And they still have yet to launch it. So I haven't watched this one. Hopefully by now they'll be like, here's when it's coming out. But as it stands for years, they've been showing us the HoloLens and what it can do, but they are still not selling it. So we'll find out maybe at the time of reading this, you guys will be like, Oh, we all saw the commercials last night, Josh. Who knows? Who gives a fuck? Uh, <laughs> so are, uh, did you watch Josh? No. Are there any games you are excited for? Um, well, nothing that I've seen yet, but I, I haven't finished the first Last of Us, but everyone talks about how great it is. So the fact that I know that they're announcing a second one or that they were supposed to announce a second one, that's probably pretty exciting. That Spider-Man game looked particularly good. It looks like Assassin's Creed meets, uh, you know, Arkham Asylum, Batman Arkham Asylum. It looks like it's got the fighting asylum, but it's got like uh, Assassin's Creed sort of jumpy and flying around and stuff. Hmm. Actually, it uses, I saw that one video, they were showing circles on like ledges and stuff, almost the same way Batman says, I, I have to, I think I have to Google and see if Rocksteady makes uh, the Spider-Man game, because that is very similar fighting things, and it was very similar, in fact, thinking of, of uh, Arkham Asylum now, it's almost like Batman had spider sense coming out of his head right before he got hit. Oh, no, it was the enemies that would have like a spider sense coming out of their head right before they tried to hit you. So I don't know. It seems like they got a lot of, a lot of things already working. You said, okay, for me, Elder Scrolls six was announced. Although this is, this is, there is no release date set yet. I also play Elder Scrolls online, which had some DLC announcements as well, which was exciting for the most part though. Nothing to too mind blowing this year. No, I agree. Usually it's, it's the, the year before they release a new console and the year, the new console comes out. Um, aside from that, we are enjoying the summer weather here in Southwestern Ontario, enjoying all the fresh fruits and vegetables. We started a garden. So waiting to enjoy the fruits of that, I would certainly suggest the pests and diseases book then by my partners at DK. It's a great one to help your garden stay fresh and healthy. Uh, speaking of Ontario, how about that provincial vote? Well, you heard my, uh, my thoughts on that. Oh boy, please do give us your opinion. I certainly did. I know previously you had talked about getting happy. Well, my personal take is that you have to look at happiness as a macro, not a micro thing. <coughs> Excuse me. So more of all the things in my life. Sorry. So, so more of all the things in my life. Am I in general happy with where I am rather than thinking about this moment or that moment? We all have moments every day where we are unhappy, but I think when I look at my life as a whole, I'm very happy with where I've come. I guess I always, I guess I also look at it like where I've been and where I am now. Am I in a better place today than a year ago, than five years ago? If not, then you have a frame of reference of where you want to be and possibly more clarity on how to get there. Anyways, hope that advice helps you on your path to happiness. All the best to you and your listeners, Red. Thank you so much, Red. I do appreciate it. Yeah, that's what I was talking about earlier before, like again, like I said, with my mom stuff, it's that that's come a long way and I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, that's certainly better other things in my life. Not so much. And even like, I guess I don't look at like a second by second. Cause I know that the emotions are going to go up and down like a roller coaster or like sugar salt levels. Right. <clears throat> but, um, sorry guys, I was right here. Sorry. But, uh, overall, I think, I mean, I'd, I'd love to keep improving, you know, and, and where my life is right now, I, I don't have any, I, well, 
I want to say don't have any complaints, but you know, anyone who listens to this podcast would probably argue that. What I mean is just, I have a, a much better life than, than some people in the world, a lot of people in the world. And I, I really can't be ungrateful for that. Uh, I got a lot of people who care about me. I got, I got all you listeners who listen and, and give a shit. And I, I love each and every one of you for that. I truly do. Um, you know, I'd like things to get better. Who wouldn't? But, um, you know, I think it's the health and stuff. I, yeah, whatever we're, we're going to get there, right guys. We're going to keep listening. And after a while, you know, we're all going to be like, you know what? I've heard this guy bitching about his fucking weight and his health and, you know, his love life and all this for years now. And it's just not going anywhere. I'm going to stop listening to this fucking guy. I, I'm like that with people. In fact, how funny is that? I was reading something. I was reading something. I think my brother out West posted about, uh, the seven. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I wasn't, I was thinking about reading it and I'm like, you know what? This is just like one of those motivational things that people post. But I think that there's, I'm going to, I'm going to say that something I tend to not stick around people that are always complaining about the same thing and never seem to want to do anything about it. And then I'm like, then again, that's seeming, I feeling like that's myself in a lot of different ways. So here's something I, I pulled it up here. My, my brother posted seven counterintuitive life lessons that are full of wisdom. And I think some of these I, I implore, you know, I, I show some, some good things of these, uh, but anyways, here's seven counterintuitive advice lessons that are full of wisdom. Number one, the more you try to impress someone, the less they will like you. Uh, I believe that to be true and I've definitely felt it, uh, two, the easiest way to get into a relationship is to be fine alone. Well, that's one that I'm st still working on. I'd love to have a partner or whatever, but I'm certainly not okay being alone because it's something that I want very much. So not doing that one right, right now. And it, but it's absolutely true. As soon as you're okay with not being with anybody, that's when someone will just fall into your lap. Uh, number three, the more you learn, the more, <laughs> the more you learn, you'll realize the less, you know, I 100% agree with that one. Number four, the more you admit your faults and shortcomings, the more people will like you. Um, I started trying to be as honest with myself as I could some years ago. And I did find that just people, it was resonating well with people. I wasn't doing it for the result. I was doing it because I felt like in order to really, you know, move forward and grow, you kind of have to own your shit. And, um, and it's just the way it says that's the, the, the more you admit your faults and shortcomings, the more people will like you. I think that the truth behind that one is it's honest. The more honest you are, the more people will like you. People, people connect and resonate with honesty. So, so admitting your faults and admitting your shortcomings is being honest. So if I could just add that to it, so it's not about having shortcomings and, and faults. It's about being honest about them. And the more honest you are, the more you attract people, uh, the more choices you have, the less satisfied you are with any particular one. I can see that. It's definitely, I, for me, it's not so much about satisfaction. It's about doubt, doubt, whether or not you chose the right thing. Uh, number six, if you strongly dislike a trait in someone else or are critical of something, you're probably that way yourself. And that's what made me think of this and want to bring it up. So hopefully I'm not one of those guys who's always just bitching about the same thing and not doing anything to change it. It's hard. It is hard to make a change, but I'm trying to, to do things different. And finally, number seven, the only constant is change. So that's the thing my brother posted and thank you for that. And finally, just thought I'd share that with you guys. That was something else. All right. I'll tell you guys about what's going on with me. That was, that was something that went on with my day. So my last email comes from Paula, AKA my mom. My mom read this today. She's uh, this is what she wrote. She wrote, I read it all. And maybe there was something in it for you or maybe for your audience. So this was uh, a letter that someone wrote to the graduates of, or not a letter, but a, a, a graduation speech that someone wrote. Uh, 
Dear 2018 graduates, you and I have certainly grown up in very different environments. Um, sorry, this is from, I apologize, Tony Robbins. So, uh, very motivational speaker, very, very high authority. Anyways, long story short, Tony Robbins wrote this to the graduates. Just putting that there. I was going to hide it because some people will immediately dismiss it, but I read, I read a good portion of this before I just copy and paste it into the notes. Um, there's value here. So try to just take the value for what it's worth. Um, dear 2018 graduates, you and I have certainly grown up in different environments and I'm not going to pretend to know your personal goals or expectations. Still, I remember what it was like to be 20 something. I loved music. I loved adventure. And I took the task of working on my abs so seriously, it probably qualifies as my first job. But today, three decades later, my priorities have shifted. I'm lucky to be surrounded by millennials on my staff whose spirit I truly delight in. They have those gifts all young people have. Moxie, a sense of humor, excitability, imagination, impulse. And they are not just dreamers. They are also some of the scrappiest, most resourceful people I know. In fact, they've somehow managed to see every TV show I tell them about, even though none of them have cable. Millennials have so much excitement constantly competing for their attention. If I have an urgent assignment for my millennials, I don't email them or God forbid, call them. I just send them a text. My point is when you're 22, life is fast. The music is loud. Your teeth are white and the options are endless. Uh, it's an era of go, go fun and invincibility, a carnival of life. But that focus of fun eventually shifted rather radically for me when a different force took hold of my life, a force that's the primary catalyst for making something, anything of yourself out there before all else, you've got to find your passion. I've always said that passion is the gene Genesis of genius. Passion is a force that awakens you passion plows, sorry, passion blows the lid off of your imagination, your capability, and your drive. It shakes your mind free from limiting beliefs and breaks your old patterns of thinking. Passion is what gives you a sense of purpose. Uh, achievers with youthful exuberance can do almost anything they really have to do, but trying to make yourself do something is an energy that will never last. Passion wakes you up to something in life that you desire so strongly that you no longer have to push yourself to do anything. You now have a different kind of drive, a force that pulls you forward. If someone asks me, Tony, what is the single most valuable secret to success in life? How do I live life on my terms and have choices and become the best in my field? I'd tell them that every great leader I've ever had the privilege to work with, whether they are a politician, an athlete, a musician, or a business savant, got there using one force above all others, and that's hunger. So what's the difference between passion and hunger? Passion is first gear. It will get you going, but hunger is the ticket that will take you there. It's human nature to get excited about big dreams. It's easy to spark the fires of passion especially when you're young, but sooner or later, when it comes time to get the job done, suddenly our level of excitement wanes because we're all afraid of one thing, failure. Here's what's great. Hunger will destroy that fear of failure. Hunger will drive you through it. Hunger will be your resolve. It is the force that locks you into a commitment. It fastens you to the outcome when you've decided upon a result and you won't sleep at night until you achieve it. Hunger is irrepressible. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not enough to be passionate about a result. You've got to want it so badly that you become uncomfortable when you're not getting it. That's what hunger is. It's a desire so strong that when you don't get whatever it is you're craving, you're disturbed. You're hangry. You'll die trying to get what you want if you have to, because there is no other alternative. If you really want to take the island, burn the boats. 
that uh, irascible hunger is the only thing that will keep you from settling for any less. Hunger is the X factor that might not necessarily make your CV stand out in a stack, but I promise you that hunger is absolutely the driving force that will put you f- that will pull you forward and toward a breakthrough when everyone else is feeling down and out, defeated, and taking a breather. Today, class of 2018, the entire world is in your pocket. It's all yours for the taking, but listen to me, only if you're hungry for it. If not, you'll get comfortable. Uh, sorry, if not, you'll get comfortable. And life gives us two choices. You either grow or you die. You climb or you slide. Sometimes hunger waits to appear until your back is against the wall when you're at the very bottom of the well looking up. If you've got a plan to fall back on, it just means more room to fail. And uh, sorry, more room to fall. Same shit. Uh, <laughs> and there's the reason why a lot of people have trouble sustaining their passions. They take one step forward and two steps back until they fall flat and start all over again on something else altogether. They live in a world of stutter steps and false starts. That's what passion without hunger will do to you. And it means only one thing. You aren't making the jump. You're not committing. You're not holding back because you're afraid to fail. Sorry, you're holding back because you're afraid to fail and you've got a crash pad to fall back on. When there's a safety net beneath you, your parents, relatives, a girlfriend or boyfriend, a comfortable hometown, a decent job, there's tremendous comfort and certainty there. But what looks like an asset can actually lock you up and paralyze you with debilitating inertia. I mean, right now, the largest percentage in history, 15% of people between the age of 24, sorry, 25 and 34 live at home with their parents. And that's not a judgment from me. There is nothing wrong with living at home. But when your mom is stocking the fridge, there is no way you're ever going to get hungry. There is nothing like necessity to get you through a challenge, but nothing is really necessary until you are chasing your passion. Passion is the only true, uh, exigency. I think this is a typo. E X I G E N C Y exigency of action. Eh whatever, or it's a word. I just don't know. That's probably more likely. So let me ask you something. What is your passion? What are you really here for? To be clear, I'm not asking you what you want to be. I'm asking you, what do you want to create? What are you here to give? What is your gift? What is the only thing you want to do better than anyone else on this planet? What is the one thing you could do every single day and not get sick of? What will you share with the world? With me, it's my poetry. No, (laughs) That is your passion, finding your true passion. A lot of people, young and old, will say, but Tony, I don't know what my passion is. How do I find my passion? The fastest way to find your true passion is to commit to something you have an interest in. Really immerse yourself in the environment. Don't just dabble. Volunteer with your whole heart. Do your homework and model the people who have done it best. Follow them around. Commit every cell in your body to learning and living that life and feel where that focus takes you. If that doesn't work, there's another way. If you can't find your career from heaven, just describe your job from hell. There you go. (coughs) I think I've done that several times. Um, (laughs) Oftentimes when I ask people to describe what they would, sorry, what they would not want to have to do for a living, the kind of people they don't want to work with, the office they'd hate to, to be penned up in, the conditions that would make them crazy, that's when they're able to paint a very colorful portrait. It's surprising to see how many, sorry, how much energy can be generated in a person from anger. So go crazy for five minutes, get it all out, and then when you're in that passionate state, that's when I ask you to describe the opposite of everything you just rattled off. Then you'll have your job from heaven. What does that look like? How does it feel? That simple technique 
is sometimes all it takes to trigger the clues you need when you're feeling blocked. So once you've zeroed in on your passion and you're hungry to chase it down, what's next? You must serve something greater than yourself. The question is never, what are you going to get? I'm sorry. Uh, what are you going to get? You got it? Question mark. You can't, <laughs> sorry. When I speak out loud with the punctuation, you can't get anything you want, but the only way to greatness is to find a way to serve others. Uh, okay. So he's going to quote the Bible. I didn't read this far, but whatever it is, what it is. Uh, there's a Bible verse that says, whoever among you wishes to become great must become a servant of many. That means there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great, successful leader, uh, be a great successful leader. But the only way to do that is to become a servant. Several people who have succeeded on the highest scale, interestingly enough, didn't wait until they finished college to start serving others. They couldn't wait. Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, Oprah, Ellen, Walt Disney, Ralph Lauren, Wolfgang Puck, John Lennon, Lady Gaga, Abe Lincoln. They didn't drop out of school because they were lazy. They had already found their passion and they were ready to begin serving others. They had such hunger. They physically could not wait. There is nothing quite as effective as a sense of urgency to transform the quality of a human's life. The good news is you are coming uh, you were coming of age in an era of accelerated uh, ideation and fast and furious innovation, the likes of which the world has never seen. The bad news is you should have started five years ago. Can you feel the pressure? Good. Internal pressure is not a bad thing. If you feel nothing but a little fire inside you right now, there'll be no worse. You'll be no worse for wear. When I speak with great thought, uh, when I speak with great thought leaders and cultural influencers, great thought leaders. Oh, I guess that's how it goes. Sorry. When I speak with great thought leaders and cultural influencers, they all seem to describe this common feeling inside of them. It's a feeling of responsibility. Like they must deliver something, a sense of purpose. Uh, they're here to serve. It's not about what life is going to give to them. It's about what they must bring to bear. If you've been waiting to turn your what? If you, sorry, it's just so small, the font guys, I apologize. If you're, uh, if you've been waiting to turn your tassel to the other side of your cap before you start the process of defining what you really want, it's time to throw a match in your gas tank. You and I are living in a world where people can compete from anywhere on earth and there's no age requirement to add value to the marketplace. I'll guarantee you there's a hungry 17 year old crowdsourced gig site who is already doing a job that many 22 year olds are hoping their, their entire, sorry, they're hoping their entry level resume just might qualify them for an interview. Uh, I'm not diminishing the merits, the merits of higher education whatsoever. I just want to make something crystal clear. We hope, sorry, we hear people say all the time that knowledge is power. That's not true. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge of concepts is only of potential value to you. The execution of the knowledge you've gleaned is where your power lies. Absolutely. I agree with that. 100%. 100%. I've said it before. Knowing shit does not impress me. Putting it into applying it is great. Okay. So I challenge you to act on what you've just learned in college. Don't let the learning stop. Not now, not ever. The key distinction that will set you apart from the field is a commitment to mastery. Uh, to truly master a field of study, you've got to go deep. These days, most people stay in the shallow end. Everyone seems to know a little about a lot. They dabble. They've got all kinds of pins and badges and likes and dislikes. They have hundreds of friends and thousands of followers. They're comfortable with a level of communication that fits on the screen of a cell phone. Listen to me. That's not good enough. When you decide to become a master in a subject, 
that you are passionate about, you've got to take massive action. You must be committed to learn everything humanly possible about that subject matter. You need to know it wider and better than anyone else. And most importantly, you have to use that knowledge to serve something greater than yourself. Motive does matter. So what's the hack? Uh, here it is in one word results. We live in a world where there are no limits for those who can create results. The faster you can use what you've learned to execute results, the sooner your GPA, no matter how impressive or abysmal won't matter. There is no replacement for results. Your ability to deliver useful results to people better, uh, to better, yeah, to people better than anybody else will determine your success. Uh, meet people's needs, add value to their lives through music or food, finance, literature, art, business. It doesn't matter what your market, what marketplace you enter, you will get paid for results. Sure. You might get lucky. Maybe somebody will cut you a check just because you've positioned yourself well, but you won't be able to sustain long-term success that way. Delivering results is what changed my life. When I was 17 and just starting out, I had nothing. I had a desk I made by taking a, do a door <laughs> off its hinges and flipping it around in a crappy little room in Azusa, California. I took out a telephone and I vowed to make 100 calls a day to people I wanted to do business with. There were no excuses. I tracked my progress. I had nothing. I had nothing if not hunger. And I figured that as long as I stayed connected to my passion and felt that higher sense of purpose, I'd get through to somebody. It was a disaster at first, but I stayed committed to mastery. People ask, how long does it take to get good at something? And my answer is always, how long do you want it to take? I read almost 700 books on human development, psychology, physiology. I wanted to know everything that could possibly change the quality of someone's life. I was obsessed. I myself was trying to make changes in my body, grow my mind, condition my emotions, and elevate my spirit. I started out helping myself and then my friends, and the more results I produced, the more my impact began to expand. All the while, I didn't change... Sorry, all the while I didn't charge anybody for anything, not one penny, unless I produced results for them. Before I had my reputation, my only leg to stand on was results. Results built my brand. Uh, last page, guys. Uh, <laughs> as time went on, I found other sectors that I could learn about and serve. I realized that I wanted to do this full time as my career, but the, one, the only catch was there was no such career path. I didn't know what I was going to do with my passion. I thought I could write a book, but not many 17-year-olds are on the New York Times bestseller list. I could become a motivational speaker, but I hated that idea right off the bat. I was never about pump up. I was always about strategies. All, all these years, some people that have never met me still think I'm about motivation because I also know how to generate energy and ignite passion, but that's never been the focus. Energy is just a byproduct of the right strategy. For me, my passion is finding the strategy that's going to get someone who wants to change from where they are now to where they want to be in the shortest period of time. But the thing is, when I was 22, there was no pathway to that profession. The profession did not exist. Uh, there was no search results returned on LinkedIn's job boards for the terms now hiring entry-level peak performance strategist, competitive base salary plus commission. But here I am. And don't, don't worry. You don't have to have big teeth and banana hands to carve your own path. He's got, he has got a, he's a big fucking dude. Uh, you've just got to be able to obsessively articulate exactly what it is you want. When you know your passion and you're unwilling to live by somebody else's rules, you can make your own way and don't misunderstand. This is not about breaking rules. This is about producing results. 
Ignore the job description and produce results for somebody. I promise you, you won't be ignored. People will change the rules for you if you can produce outstanding results. When I first began to work with people, there was no such thing as life coaching. That was a phrase I coined myself. The only way you could come by, sorry, the only way you could come by this work professionally was as a therapist. You had to go to school, get a traditional degree, take the conventional approach of looking at someone's problems, which at the time meant therapy once, twice, three times a week for years, sometimes decades. And that method was something that did not interest me in the slightest. I wanted to, to help lots of people, different people, business people, athletes, investors, politicians, entrepreneurs, parents, artists, and kids, not a couple hundred patients a month in an office, but millions of people all over the world. And I became obsessed with this idea. Oftentimes the standard way of doing things is not the only way of doing things. It's just what people have gotten used to. If you come up with a different way to get people the results they're looking for, you can do anything you want. So if you're 22 years old and reading this today, I know, oh, maybe he did write it in. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So if you're 22 years old and reading this today, I know that you're not satisfied with what you've accomplished already. You want to do more, be more, give more. You're the prime. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, guys. All the chat makes me bit. All this coffee whiskey. You are in the prime of your youth. Don't wait for a time down the road, a birthday with a zero on it to look back and realize that you've got to do something with yourself. And for me, it'll be 40. Uh, commit to turning your shoulds into musts right now. You do anything you want with your life, whether or not the avenues exist. Clear the path, pave the road, step up and make it happen. Discover your passion, get hungry, design the life you want to live. With massive action, flexibility, obsessive discipline, and a sense of purpose to serve something outside of yourself, you will develop the ability to consistently produce results, and you will effectively create your own path to greatness. Finally, when you fall upon frustrating times, and you will, remember the words my mentor told me many years ago when I was at my first lowest place, or sorry, when I was at my lowest place. He said, Tony, keep working on yourself, keep improving, strengthening, and keep finding a way to serve a more people. If you do that, I promise you, your gifts will make room for you. Uh, I wish you an extraordinary life, Tony. So that's a email, a crazy long email my mom sent in, but, um, she said it, it made her feel a little fire in her belly. Maybe it'll make you guys feel a little fire in your belly for any of you looking to do anything to improve. I know myself, I've been working on self-improvement and, uh, and to me personally, I do have my passion, but it is my hunger that has gone away uh, for a long, <laughs> not that kind of hunger, you fucking assholes. No, my, 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 my hunger for, you know, wanting to succeed at all. Um, and that's that lost feeling is, is, you know, I know what I'm passionate about and I, and I know what I want, but sometimes I feel like they're in different directions. Um, and it's hard to get hungry for a direction and, and, you know, that, that and that's, that's also getting back to with why I quit the source and why I quit the mobile shop afterwards. And it was just that having that day job and having that, that I don't want to say safety net, but it's just like, Oh, you gotta have a job and you have something. It's just, I'm trying to clear all that shit of the way. So there's no safety net, you know? Um, I still have safety nets, but it's nice to, uh, it's good to start taking risks again and get hungry and wanting the results, you know, no matter how hard they are, not being afraid to fail. And I gotta, I gotta tell you, I got a, a shitload of fear of failure in my life. So, all right. Well, on that, uh, uplifting note, listen, thank you everyone for emailing in. Thank you for listening to this incredibly long, I just maybe the single longest one man podcast episode ever, but thank you for listening. I hope you guys have a great week. You know, I love you guys very much. Thank you to the sponsors, DK, uh, summersby absolute comedy and portablepress.com. 
Uh, send in your emails, contact the one man podcast.com and follow us on the social medias. One man podcast. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks so much guys.